Good evening. Welcome into Hoopsville on a beautiful Thursday evening. Well, I don't know what the weather's like, but it is a Thursday evening here. In Division Three world and the rest of the world and anywhere else. Well, unless you're somewhere else, I guess. Thursday night. I am your host, Dave McHugh. I, uh, welcome to the show, as always. Lots to cover here in Division Three basketball. Lots to talk about in Division Three basketball as well. We have um, upsets to talk about. Wow, that's shocking, right? We have results to talk about. We have top 25 matchups to talk about. We have some surprising news to talk about. Um, we have fundraisers to talk about and future plans to talk about and all of the fun stuff in between. If you've got questions for us, Make sure you let us know. Tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um, we are on Instagram, though we don't use it during the show. You can use Instagram uh, at other times. You can do that via um, at D3Hoopsville as well there and using the hashtag Hoopsville as well. So lots to talk about tonight, and we hope you'll enjoy the show. We'll talk about our guests here momentarily. Um, we will have a Hoopsville mailbag segment coming up as well, uh, as we've had lots of people ask about uh, ask a few questions. We have a follow-up question to last week um, where I, uh, I didn't have a good answer. Uh, I wanted to spend some time on it. I will answer that had to do with the best turnaround for some teams or one of the more significant turnarounds. We will also uh, clear up an answer I gave in the Hoopsville mailbag last week or last show um, with one of our segments, believe it or not. I did not get a chance to um, to tw to to um, send out my top twenty-five this week. Uh, I had the great honor on Tuesday of going up to Philadelphia and taking part in the small back basketball luncheon. Uh, it involves the small colleges involved in Division Three and Division Two, and, and maybe Division One. Though Division One did schools weren't there that, on that particular day. I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure any of the guys who are there or or have known about the event or watch my show who've invited me would be able to better answer that. Apparently, a small turnout of coaches. <clears throat> I did give a, a hard time to a couple coaches I know who weren't there, um, but it was great to see that. Great to see some coaches I don't get to see all that often unless they go to a game. Uh, Interestingly enough, got to see our sinuses coach just days after I saw him at McDaniel. Um, but it was great to be up there. Uh, and because of that and the travel involved to do it and everything else that I had to rearrange, I didn't get around to doing my blog. The sad part was I got my top 25 done far earlier than I normally do um, on a Monday. Uh, I think Gordon said all voters were in by 3.30, and I was close to that time, if not a little bit earlier than that time. Um I think I was definitely earlier, about 1.30 or 2 on the East Coast. Um, so I could have written it right then, and I thought about it and didn't do it. Um, what I will do is I will at least mention my top 25 ballot on the men's side at the end of the show in the last block. Really didn't have that many changes. I did bring in a few new teams. I kicked out uh, two, I believe. Um, thought about kicking out three, even considered four. But I, I went with two. So we'll talk about that. I'll do that instead of my written blog this week. Um, top 25 is interesting. For the first time since week 13, which was the final week of the regular season in 2013, that was the last time we had nobody drop out of the top 25 in men's basketball. On women, it's happened often, especially recently. But in men, we've actually had one, two, three, whatever amount of teams drop out. And this isn't counting the preseason poll, um, but every other poll. 
we have never had or we haven't had a, no teams drop out between this past week and and uh, end of February 2013. So we've gone nearly four years without that happening. That's how fluid the top 25 in men's basketball has been over its over its history. So I found that kind of interesting. I may have moved teams in and out, but there wasn't a ton of movement. A team like North Park fell because of all the losses they took, two last week out of three games. But they had basically a cushion to hit um, as teams behind them had similar records or weren't blowing people away. So North Park was was going to kind of bounce in there and kind of settle. So interesting results, to say the least. And again, we'll go through my men's top 25 ballot um, at the end of the show. Also have the Hoopsville Mailbag segment, as we mentioned, at the end of the show. Let's talk about, though, how teams fared in the top 25 so far this week. On the women's side, the opposite of last week. Remember, last week had quite a few losses at this point and quite a few losses for the week, it would turn out. So far, a little bit quieter on the women's front. Hope's the only team in the top 10 who lost. They lost to Albion 83-77 in overtime last night. Bit of a surprise. Second loss for Hope. Um, They will... Maybe fall out of the top ten with that loss. Is the only there is no other team with two losses in the top ten. Washu is the closest at number eleven. You have to go all the way down to number seventeen, Whitewater, to find a second loss. Whitewater lost their first conference game of the season to Stevens Point on Saturday or on Wednesday, I, sh- I should say, losing seventy to fifty-seven. So losing by thirteen. They'll have Lacrosse ahead. I should mention Hope will have Alma ahead. Uh, Oshkosh had a scare with Lacrosse at number fifteen. Uh, they lost to Lacrosse or beat Lacrosse fifty-one forty-nine in overtime. Really low-scoring affair there. Forgive me as I have a cold that I'm still dealing with for the last few weeks. Um, Christopher Newport, number five, did get past Salisbury, but it was close, sixty-one fifty-eight. So those are games that kind of stood out to me. Ohio Northern got past Wilmington sixty-two sixty-one in overtime last night. We will talk to Ohio Northern's head coach coming up here on the show about that. Um, rest of the way, pretty status quo. Whitman got past Whitworth, 71-65. SUNY Geneseo, 18-0. They have suffered only four losses since the death of their teammate last year. And despite the death of another teammate this year, they are still undefeated. Unbelievable to Virginia Geneseo, 18-0, beating Buffalo State earlier this week. They got Cortland and Oswego ahead of them. In the receiving votes category, Marymount lost to Frostburg. That's a bit of a surprise. It's their 14th loss of the season. Only got scored 42 points as Frostburg beat them 53-42. It was at Frostburg, which is always tough, but Marymount should have won that game. They'll have St. Mary's coming up this weekend. Augustana took its fifth loss of the season to Illinois Wesleyan, 83-74. Of course, we mentioned Illinois Wesleyan probably wouldn't get any more votes after last week picking up their sixth loss, and that is the case. Babson picked up its fourth loss to MIT, 78-74 in double overtime. So that's on the women's side. On the men's side, pretty quiet, to be honest with you. Whitman has pretty much wrapped up the Northwest Conference. Uh, They beat Whitworth, so now they got the tiebreaker on Whitworth and at least a two-game lead on Whitworth, if not bigger. Whitworth actually has a third loss in conference, so that's really a three-game lead. 91-75 game was, I believe, at Whitworth. So Whitman's put it foot down on the conference and is going to win the conference, barring a meltdown. Salisbury um, lost to Christopher Newport, so those two teams split the regular season. Christopher Newport winning this one, 55-53. The difference in score between these two games, between these two opponents, I believe is even, or Christopher Newport by one point. 
between these two teams. I can't remember if the three-pointer hit by uh, Salisbury was a two-point or a one-point victory for them, uh, or a tie. For that matter, it would give Salisbury the one-point lead. My point being, these two teams nip and tuck this season. Salisbury picking up their fourth loss. Honestly, if they go the rest of the season without picking up a loss until conference tournament time, they are going to be in great shape. Uh, they have Mary Washington and Salisbury does coming up. So Christopher Newport will play Penn State Harrisburg coming up this weekend. Those are the only two losses in the top 25. Babson got past Clark, probably a little closer than it should have been, 90-81. to 81. Um, Tufts didn't play yet. They'll play Newbury and Bates this weekend. Uh, River Falls defeated Stout, 70-58. to 58. We'll face Stevens Point this weekend. Um, not and many other games uh, that jump out at me. Susquehanna got past Catholic at Catholic, 89-83. Frank Marcinic picks up his 400th win with that. We will talk to Coach Marcinic coming up on the show. Um, the Amherst got past Williams by 8, 72-64. So really nothing jumping out of me going, ooh, that shouldn't have, shouldn't have happened. Uh, in the receiving votes category, same thing on the women's side. Uh, four losses for the men. Lycoming lost to Messiah, 91-80, to picking up their third loss. Just as a guy like myself who's not voting for them is considering them. They pick up a loss, though, to a decent Messiah squad. That Mac Commonwealth likes to kind of eat its young a little bit. Eastern Connecticut, who had been on, I think, a 14 or something. It couldn't have been 14, but 11-game winning streak, I believe. Lost to Keene State, 99-92, to pick up their sixth loss of the season. Hanover uh, lost to Rose Holman, picking up their third loss of the season, certainly making the HCAC race a little bit more interesting. The one you should watch out for, Transylvania, has come out of nowhere in the HCAC. I believe they've won 11 straight now uh, and are either in the lead or tied for the lead in the conference out of nowhere. And then St. Lawrence lost to Skidmore, 83-66. Not surprised they lost to Skidmore. Surprised by the score, 83-66. A couple other things to pick up on. Uh, Denison's uh, Jordan Holmes broke the Division Three women's career rebounding record, besting Rondo Joe Miller's record, uh, 15. She now, Denison... Uh, Holmes, I should say, now has 1,560 career rebounds. Ronda Joe Miller had 1,545. I saw Ronda Joe Miller play for Gallaudet. I became a practice dummy at my alma mater because of Ronda Joe Miller. I got more involved in Division Three basketball because of Ronda Joe Miller. She was phenomenal considering she was deaf, went to Gallaudet. A tremendous talent. So hats off to Jordan Helms, who I believe also owns the career block record now in Division Three record. Uh, I should mention, Ronda Joe Miller at Gallaudet had the record of 1545. The person in second was uh, Heather Stewart of New Rochelle, had 1540. Both those players played at the exact same time in their careers. Uh, pretty astounding, to say the least. Um, so congratulations to, to Jordan Holmes. And then some other news that is uh, unfortunate, to say the least. Uh, Mount St. Vincent has an interesting situation going on there. The head coach for both men's and women's basketball have been uh, kicked out, along with men's volleyball. Um, the women's coach is also the AD. Um, they were both fired Tuesday night. Now, the men had a game on Wednesday. So did the women. The women's assistant coach took over the program and uh, led them to a game on Wednesday. I am not positive how they did. We will check that out here momentarily. The women uh, won 78-45 over St. Joseph's of Brooklyn. Again, the men were supposed to play um, SUNY Maritime. That game has been postponed. Um, or was it Merchant? No, I think it was SUNY Maritime. I'm not sure when it's going to be made up. Um, what we know is they were both hired, fired. 
One assistant men's coach also resigned as part of the shakeup, apparently, apparently in loyalty to the men's coach. Um, the, the, the men's team, well, yeah, they were scheduled to play SUNY Maritime. We're not sure when that game will be rescheduled. Um, we should also mention that earlier in the season, another men's assistant coach that was hired by Brian Nigro, the head coach, former head coach at Mount St. Vincent, was let go, uh, Darnell Cujo, which gave only one assistant left, Tian Tang, who's an alumnus of, of Manhattanville as of last year. Um, that's why they postponed the game. They're trying to figure out who's going to coach the team. Granted, the men are 3-14. and 14. Um, Nigro and Cujo also were running the cross-country program, which is under investigation with the NCAA for lack of participation and lack of events, not enough to warrant. Now, that investigation could result, so I've been told, in as severe a situation as the men's, as, as Mount St. Vincent being kicked out of the division. Um, they were on probation, basically, for not being able to meet the minimum number of participants in contests in cross-country, and those and Brian Nigro and Cujo were put in charge of the program jointly and coached them this past season. We've heard some things off the record, certainly not going to say what happened here. I've been told through some contacts that the women's basketball coach, the ADD, felt that she did nothing wrong and the firing was disgraceful. I have not talked to her. I have not talked to the men's coach. I have no ability to contact them. Ironically enough, we were going to have the Mount St. Joseph women's coach on this show sometime in the near future, as they're doing very well in the skyline. However, that didn't work out as a result, as we both know. The feeling is that this firing, being that it's an AD, had to have come probably from the president's level. That would be one's educated guess. Why it took place on the record, why it took place and such, is not known. Um, I know... Uh, that it certainly caused some waves in the region. I've talked to a few people who have had theories. We're not sure if those theories are accurate. But we also should mention the women, the men's volleyball coach was let go, but apparently not related to this, related to something else regarding the men's program. We have not seen an official statement from the school. Uh, again, we've heard some stuff off the record. I'm not going to repeat those things as they are off the record, and I certainly don't want to assume anything until we get somebody on. We'll continue to follow the story. It's a little tough. Again, the men's team was 3-14, and 14, not much of the conversation. The women's team very much in the conversation in the Skyline Conference, and we'll continue to see what we can learn. But an interesting moves at Mount St. Vincent, the head coach for both men and women basketball, fired the women's coach being the AD, only hired um, less a year and a half ago. The men's coach, an alum of the program. I did see some tweet, uh, Twitter reaction from student-athletes on the campus. Some of them not so great and not necessarily in support of those two coaches or at least one of them. Um, so fascinating developments at Mount St. Vincent. We will keep track of that. We're also following some developments out of the New Jersey area in the Atlantic region. Can't speak to it now. But I noticed a coach not coaching last night in women's basketball. Um, we will need to get to the bottom as to why he was not on the sidelines. But we will get to that as soon as we can. I was going to try and effort that today, but we got slammed with the show and doing some other things, including getting ourselves ready for the fundraiser. So 
Mount St. Vincent, interesting situation. Another one developing out of New Jersey. Remember, we're still sitting on the Stevens Point case, which may not hear a result until late March at the earliest, most likely April, if not early May, <laughs> the way it all plays out. So an interesting year in Division Three, And, of course, there's a tragedy over in the football side of things, too. We only quickly mention it because it's been that kind of year in Division Three. Two McMurray players are under arrest. A third is is being looked for. He's on the run, as it were, in the in the murder of somebody. Uh, two of the men are up on capital murder charges. I would assume the third one would be as well. It's still in its early stages, but that's happening out of McMurray. So a crazy few days here, crazy few weeks, months, uh, crazy academic year in Division Three, to say the least. So those are kind of the notes that we're following on Division Three. Uh, in the meantime, we launched our fundraiser once again, and we would hope you will take a look at that and maybe consider helping us out. We will talk more about the fundraiser at the end of the show. We'll go a little bit into overtime where we'll answer your questions in the mailbag. I'll talk about my top 25, and we'll talk about the fundraiser. But our fundraiser is up and running. You can see the links on the Hoopsville pages, d3hoopsville.com, or on this particular show page. We've already got one donation. came right as we launched. We have a special donation via uh, social media. If you click it, you can get all the benefits of one perk level at a, at a lower rate. Uh, we will re retweet that link uh, here during the show. Uh, we would hope you would consider it. The money is very much helpful to us as we consider this like public television. You help us stay on the air as this is a passion thing for us. And so please consider it. When you get the opportunity, we'll talk again more at the end of the program. In the meantime, our coaches for tonight, we will start in the Mid-Atlantic region in men's basketball. Susquehanna's men's basketball coach will join us. The number 11th ranked team in the country, Frank Marcinic, will join us. You have got to hear Frank talk. Amazing story about his team, but also about him fighting cancer in the offseason. A great story from Frank. We will talk to him. Coming up, again, they're in the landmark. They're leading the landmark. Can they stay on top of the landmark? Those will be the questions for Frank coming up on the show. Sticking with men's basketball, we will go up to New York State into the East region. Forgive me, my cold is acting up. My nose is clogging. Eyes are starting to run um, a little bit red. Apologize for that. Anybody watching, <laughs> my cold has been bothering me for a few weeks now. Uh, we'll go up to Rochester and talk to um, Luke uh, Flakertsey the head coach of Rochester, the number eight team in the country. I think they're eight, correct? Seven team in the country. Yellow Jackets having a tremendous season. Talk about where the turning point was last year that has spurred this year and why this year seems to be a year they need to take advantage of, but why the lessons of last year are still in play. Luke Flakertsey uh, will join us here on the show. Then we'll switch women's basketball, go from one Yellow Jackets team to another and go up to the southern shore of Lake Superior, Wisconsin Superior, joins us. Dan Mulhorn, Don Mulhorn, will join us on the show, talk about his Yellow Jackets squad, how they're faring in the UMAC, and more importantly, how they may fare once they get out of the UMAC in the NCAA tournament, assuming they make the NCAA tournament. And then we'll head to Ohio, talk to Ohio Northern women's basketball coach Michelle Durant. They are undefeated 18-0. Felt like they flew a little bit under even my radar a little bit. But she doesn't feel like they're dominating the OAC, despite a, a significant lead in the conference. But we'll talk to her about that. That's all coming up on the show, including the mailbag. Last chance to get, or you got a last chance to get in questions for tonight's show, hoopsville at d3hoops.com, or for a future show. 
Email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Again, follow us on Twitter at d3hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville. We're live simulcasting the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to get going with the with our guests. Coming up, a lengthy and very nice conversation with Frank Marcinic, head coach of the Susquehanna, now River Hawks. Remember, they used to be the Crusaders. They're River Hawks now. We'll talk to him coming up. You listen to Hoopsville. Presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Cheer for the stumbles. The he should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. Welcome back to Hoopsville. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. It is a Thursday evening edition. We were just getting this thing started and hope you uh, will enjoy this one. Lots to talk about in Division Three basketball, not only tonight, but on Sunday nights as well. So don't forget to stick with us Thursdays and Sundays, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Of course, next week, two special shows we've been talking about. We'll talk about a little bit more. Next Thursday is our marathon show. We'll start at 10 a.m. Eastern, and we're supposed to go to at least 10 p.m. Eastern. We know we tend to go a little longer than that. We'll also, on the following Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, we will not go on at 7 o'clock Eastern time. We're not crazy. Uh, we will go on earlier in the day with our broadcast there. So just stick with us on Instagram and Twitter to see when our schedule is. Both accounts at D3Hoopsville and using the hashtag Hoopsville. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook uh, where we're live streaming our simulcast of this broadcast, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Of course, you can always email us. Don't forget the Hoopsville mailbag segment coming up on the show, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Number 11 team in the country on the men's side of things is Susquehanna, a program I certainly know and a conference I certainly know very well. But interestingly enough, I'm not voting for Susquehanna because I don't know how to figure out what I'm seeing. I also got, unfortunately, the chance to miss them when they came through my alma mater earlier this season. So the perfect way to find out what I'm missing and figure out maybe what's getting the Riverhawks to click so well is to head and talk to their head coach. 
Perfect timing. He won his 400th career game last night against Catholic. So joining us on the City of Salem Skype hotline is their head coach, Frank Marcinic. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Dave, great to be here. I appreciate you taking the time, as always. It has been fun to talk to you. I'm sorry I missed you at Goucher. You're one of my favorite coaches to see. But since then, you've continued to just march along. I don't think you've lost a, a game um, or you've lost one game, I should say, in that amount of time. You lost to Scranton earlier this week or earlier this season, but obviously got the win over Catholic. You'll get Scranton later. What is this team was good last year? I didn't expect it to be just as good, if not better, this year. What's going on up there at the Riverhawks? Uh, great leadership. Uh, I've been asked the question a lot. You know, how, you know, starting back in October, how's your team going to be? Tell me about your team. And, uh, you know, when I sat down and really thought about it, there were three words that came to mind. Uh, we're experienced. Uh, it's a very committed group of kids, and, uh, and they're very intelligent. Um, those three factors have carried us. Uh, last night in our win at Catholic, we had great play off the bench, um, which, is, which is really, really important to having a long, you know, uh, string of consistency. Uh, I think we had 46 points off our bench. When we made our run, we made our run with one starter and four subs in. Um, so it's been a true team. Uh, when you look at us, you know we're not physically impressive. Uh, we play three little guards, uh, you know, that aren't six three and six four, but more five nine, you know, five ten and six one. Um, that we're very fast. We pass the ball well. Our ball movement, um, I would say, is probably as good as anybody's in the country. Uh, and there are certain things I think when you prepare for teams that are hard to prepare for. And I would imagine the way we move the ball offensively is very difficult to prepare for. Uh, we share the ball. Uh, we shoot the ball. We handle the ball. I think that's probably our calling card. And, uh, and we're, we're very poised. Uh, you know, we've had a number of games where we've fallen behind early. Uh, we had a game at Dickinson. I think we fell behind 12 nothing. We had a game at Drew the other night. We fell behind 11 nothing. Fell behind last night. And, uh, you know, I look, I look in my players' eyes. And uh, they just they have the look, the look of confidence, the look of a winner, uh, the look of trust, uh, all those intangibles that, that the great teams have. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw out something interesting physically. Um, you know, we've played, I think, what, 18 games. Uh, I don't think we've had an overtime game. So 18 times 40, whatever the math adds up to uh, in that number of minutes, we have zero dunks, you know. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm not sure high school teams go that long without dunking the ball. We just we've not had a dunk all year, uh, so we're 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 kind of atypical. Uh, we're kind of a uh, throwback team. I think if it, the more you watch us, the more you like us. Um, we've been a great second half team. We've played great at the, the end of the first half, uh, started the second half, which I, I've always felt was a a sign of a really good team. The one game we didn't do that uh, was at Goucher. Um, Goucher came out and kind of punched us to start the second half after having a nice uh, first half and a nice finish to the half. But um, it's been a delightful group of, of players to coach. We lost two great players from last year in Josh Miller and Brandon Headley, who I knew would be hard to replace. I knew our team would be different. Um, and kind of my vision for what this team would be uh, was that we were going to be bigger and stronger. Um, and kind of play with Danny Weiss, who was our starting center last year, and Ryan Traub, uh, who's been our starting center this year. I thought I would play them together, uh, but because of injuries and the dynamics of how things work out sometimes, that has not happened. 
Uh, so we've been a little bit more like last year in that we play three guards, a forward and a center. Um, but you know, I'd say our calling card and the thing that makes us very unique is how well we, we pass, catch, and shoot. Interesting. There's a lot of things on your schedule that jump out at me this season. First off, you add 10 minutes to your time because you had a double overtime game to start the season. Yeah, you probably want to forget that one. Lost to Misericordia, 120 to 116. Though Misericordia started off the season on a tear. looked really good. You mentioned the Goucher game, and what jumps out at me is that game, along with the Trinity game and the loss to Scranton, are the only three games where you didn't put up a significant amount of points. And I'm talking you scored in the 60s. Um, otherwise, you're a 70s, 80s, 90s type of team. And you mentioned Goucher kind of punched you guys in the nose a little bit. Um, Scranton looked like they kind of got you guys off keel a little bit. And I suspect Trinity may have done the same. Is is that what we're seeing in those three games? Are those kind of the admiration of what the whole season has really been showing from this from this Riverhawk squad? Well, I, I, I think that... The Goucher game and the Scranton game, um, I could point to that. Uh, the Trinity game, it was more pace-driven. Um, you know, you've seen the Nescax. They're big. They're yeah. strong. Um, you know, they had that advantage over us. We never really got the tempo quite like we like. Uh, but, but in the Goucher game and the Scranton game, we, to be quite honest with you, did not shoot the ball well. And to, to be scoring as we score – we need consistency between scoring the ball on the perimeter and scoring it in the post. And one thing we've done very well all year is get to the free throw line a lot. Um, for a small team, you know, playing three guards, uh, we drive the ball well, we post the ball well, and we shoot free throws well. Um, so you know, that game within the game of getting to the free throw line is very important. And uh, so I think that in some of those games, we did not shoot the number of free throws we typically shoot. And, you know, obviously, the more you get to the line, the earlier you get to the line, the more it helps your offense. Um, but I'd say, you know, they were common denominators in, in the Scranton and Goucher game as well. The schedule's full of some pretty good teams or teams that are in the conversation last year or this year. Obviously, Misery Recorder, we mentioned, got off to a good start. Lycoming's got two losses on the season and, and playing very well. Uh, you mentioned Trinity, Connecticut, obviously in a, in a very, very deep NESCAC race. Gwyneth Mercy, who you beat, who who made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament, upsetting Marietta last year, and it's certainly in the conversation in the CSAC. Uh, Dickinson, who's obviously been in the conversation in the Mid-Atlantic over the last few years. Lancaster Bible, who's not the same team as last year's amazing run, but still uh, a pretty good victory there. And then obviously in conference, uh, you beat sure. Catholic. Um, and you've got you you have the loss to Scranton, but you'll have repeats against those teams coming up. Is this season playing out better than last season? Here's what I here's what I thought going into the year, Dave. I thought we had a chance to be as good or maybe better than last year um, because the taste we had last year, I think, uh, helped drive us through the off season. I thought we learned um, from our conference tournament and the NCAA tournament and could call on that experience. But I really tried to schedule us the best I could. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and everybody talks about, you know, scheduling a Division III. And, it, you know, it's not as easy as you think just to schedule the best teams because just because of contracts and locations and all of that. Um, but I tried to schedule the best teams we could. I tried to find as many teams that were in the NCAA tournament a year ago. Um, and, and, I, and I think we did that. So I thought our team could be better, but our record would not be as good. And, uh, you know, one team you didn't mention uh, was LaGrange, uh, mm -hmm. Georgia, who we played in Florida, and they were an NCAA tournament team from last mm -hmm. year. Uh, when we were, and you know, we've played Eastern 
um, Beat Eastern, who I think leads the uh, uh, leads the freedom right now. So um, I've tried to schedule the best I could. And, you know, sure, we you know we have not played uh, uh, Babson this year and sure we have not played in Amherst or people like that. But we, we've played good people. And I think our success out of conference has helped build our confidence. Um, and I think that's helped us as well as we've uh, you know dealt with some adversity uh, uh, you know, in a variety of games. It wasn't that long ago you guys were a 9-16 and 16 squad back in 2013, kind of a little over 500 type of, of team for, for much of the recent history. Obviously two years ago, 19-7, and seven, and then last year, 24-5. and five. Made that run in the NCAA tournament, lost to obviously a very good Babson team uh, at home in the second round. But this team seems better. And in your years of coaching, this seems like this might be one of the better teams that you've had. Now, granted, I don't know your history of your program back in the early days as much as I know the current history mm-hmm. of the team. So maybe I'm going on a limb. But is this the best team that you've had uh, under your under your guide guideship at Susquehanna? I would say we're probably two months too early to make that decision, Dave. I think <laughs> last year, I think last year's team, you know, was and you know, we won 24 games. Yeah, um, had a chance to tie Babson. At the end of reg- at the end of regulation, yeah. um, th- this team's good, but you know history is yet to be written. I think they have a chance. Uh, there, there's a we had great chemistry last year. We had just great uh, a great sense of team. We have the same thing going now. The thing we have now that's a little better than last year is a little bit more of a mature post game. Um, Ryan Traub, who's a junior, has really emerged for us. He's averaging I think about 18 a game, and when you have that go-to guy in the post. That helps cover up for some inconsistencies. So I'd say that he might be the biggest difference from last year to this year. Um, so, but it, that, you know, that, that, that's that's a tough question for me to answer. Sure. No, I can understand that. Uh, interesting thing with last year, um, twenty-four and five, as you mentioned, all five losses came in the second half of the season, starting on January sixteenth against Drew. Two games later against Catholic. Three games later against Scranton. And then you finish with a loss to Catholic in the CAC championship. Uh, and then a loss to Baps in the second round. Sometimes, and I know I'm going a little bit extreme here, but sometimes people would say that's just a sign of the grind of the season and a team getting a little bit tired. At the same time, we also know you obviously start playing conference play more, and so you start playing some of the tougher teams in the conference. There's a lot of factors there. But knowing what you went through last year and the fact that those five losses came at the end and kind of came in bunches, are you trying to do anything different with this year's team at this point in the season to maybe stay fresher or avoid any of those pitfalls? Well, what's a little bit ironic um, is last year I felt we we went through almost the entire regular season. You know, even though we lost to Drew, lost to Scranton, lost to Catholic, uh, went through a regular season with very little adversity. Uh, I didn't did not change my starting lineup one time. Um, we had very few injuries. We, we know it was just one of those years that, the reason you win 24 games is because things go your way. Um, this year, we've dealt with much more adversity already. And uh, I hope that dealing with adversity um, helps uh, uh, helps us in the long run. Uh, you know, we've had starters out with injuries. We're dealing with some, you know, bumps and bruises and injuries right now. Uh, I'm always very conscious of te- keeping my team fresh. Um, I learned a long time ago how you feel is more important than what you know. And if I've done a good job coaching our guys, 
I don't need to be on the practice floor for two hours today. You know, today will be, you know, came off a road win at Catholic last night. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a long ride down or a long ride back. Um, we, you know, we're in a stretch of four straight road games. Um, you know, so I'm very, very cognizant of the fact that we need to be fresh. So uh, I'll do everything in my ability to keep us fresh. Um, so we, you know, we won't overdo it today or tomorrow because we have to go on the road to Moravian on Saturday. Moravian's an up-tempo pressing team. Uh, we will certainly need our legs on Saturday. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would say, yeah, there are some lessons learned. But uh, probably the biggest difference between last year and this year is I think we've already dealt with some adversity. Mm. Last year we went to play for the conference championship was really the first we dealt with much adversity. We had an ankle injury and we had two guys that had, uh, had the stomach virus um, going down to a Catholic to play. So that was the first we dealt with that. Where already we've dealt with those types of things. Um, throughout the year, and we've had to had to call on our bench and had to call on other people uh, to step up and uh, and play significant minutes. So um, that that I think makes us a little bit different and maybe a little bit more battle tested. Um, the the one common denominator from last year to this year is Steve Weidlich, and uh, you know he's he's kind of the glue uh, to, to what we do. And uh, you know I think we can replace a lot of our other guys you know, in a variety of ways, but 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 Steve is really He's our uh, he's our catalyst. You gave me two great segues there. We'll go with the the Widelick one in here, and we'll talk about the adversity in a minute. Stephen Widelick, the senior, leading the team, twenty point seven points a game. He's averaging almost four assists a game, shooting forty three percent from the floor, thirty five percent from beyond the arc, eighty six percent from the free throw line, hauling in a five and a half rebounds on top of that, and a team leader in steals. He's joined in the double figures category by Ryan Traub, the junior, 17.3 points a game, nearly seven rebounds a game, shooting 58% from the floor and nearly 80% from the free throw line uh, as well. There's other guys, but wide like you point out, obviously has a lot of the key stats there and is the driving force. You've got Traub inside, obviously makes a nice one-two combo there. There's other guys contributing, but clearly those two are kind of the, are, are kind of the, the meat and potatoes, as it were, of your offense. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a good one-two punch. Um, and we, you know, last, last year it was like we had, we had, a, we had a kind of a three-headed monster. This year it's more of a two-headed monster. But our three-headed monster last year was pretty much all perimeter-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, Trout gives us the real go-to guy in the post. And uh, I have other very capable scorers. And, you know, like, for instance, last night um, we got 46 off the bench, 46 points off the bench. Danny Weiss is a senior um, started at center for us the last two years. Yeah. And he's one of the guys that we've we've uh, kind of nursed through the year because of some knee problems. Probably really, really came into his own last night. Um, I think he got 19 in 22 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, or 20 in, 20 in 22 minutes, something like that. Seth Callahan came off the bench. We thought Seth was going to have a chance to come in and fill Brandon Headley's role. It's not happened quite yet, but he came off the bench last night and got 19 for us. So we have other capable scorers along with Dalton Reichert, uh, Jason Dietrich. Mm-hmm. There's people that can and have, um, but but Steve and Ryan are, are the two go-to guys. And then I think that third score is dependent upon the night. Yeah, you, you point out um, you point out why. See, 10.6 points a game last year, 5.8 currently. Obviously, if he starts continuing to have numbers like he, games like he did last night, that will increase. But other guys have stepped up. You mentioned Dietrich, 6.7 points a game. He was down at three and a half, four points a game last year. So, so same with Richard. You have other guys who are obviously clearing. This is getting a little bit deeper, though you lost a lot of good talent. Um, 
So what does a team not do well? Not sure. I've been, I've been asked that question before. Somebody uh, tried to point out, you know, you're not a great rebounding team. Well, we're 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 a pretty good rebounding team. Um, you know, the, there's areas we need to improve upon from a coaching standpoint. Um, you know, I think we could be better defensively, and I'd like to see our opponents' field goal percentage down. The last two games it's risen. We had held our opponents to under 40. Um, if I were to look at our yearly stats right now, I'd imagine it's probably you know, climbed up to maybe closer to 41. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like that to be under 40. Um, so, so that, that, that's key field opponents field goal percentage. Yeah. Our ball handling is, you know, is really, really good. Last night we played 20 minutes uh, basketball and didn't turn the ball over one time. I think we ended the game with six, if I'm not mistaken, six or eight, uh, at Saturday at drew our turnovers were in that, you know, six, seven and eight range. Uh, they're key factors. When you're not turning the ball over, when you're getting good shots, I think Saturday we had 17 offensive rebounds. Um, you know, we do we do we do a lot really well. Uh, you know, I, I don't sense that we have any glaring weaknesses. Uh, you know, as a coach, there's there's areas I want to improve, but when you ask what don't we do well, um, I think yeah, I think that that's a hard one for me to answer. Sure, yeah, that's why we sometimes ask it. <laughs> um, you know, we'll talk about the adversity in a minute, but something I want to talk about before we get there is a the conference race. Uh, you guys are sitting, obviously, on top of the conference. This is a conference where the top, and I mean Scranton and Catholic, seem to have come back a little bit to the fold over the last few years. You guys have certainly emerged. You've got a game lead on Catholic, Scranton, and Moravian this year. Moravian has improved. You have all but two teams in this conference who are at 500 or above, which is obviously a good sign in terms of depth. Um, but how do you see this conference shaking out? You only have a game lead, and you still have a game against Scranton to come. You still have a game against Catholic to come. You still have a game against Moravian, which is coming up to come. How do you can you guys stay on top of this conference, and how important is it to stay on top of this conference? Well, one of our goals at the beginning of the year is to uh, have a chance to host semis and finals here at Susquehanna. I think yeah. that that's always a huge advantage um the team that wins the conference tournament usually um yeah i'd I'd say eight out of ten times wins the conference championship so that's very important to us is to win the regular season uh it'll be very difficult you know i i uh to beat scranton at scranton we we, we've played well at scranton and yeah we've beaten them there i think uh the last two years we've played them um but but you know they're a very very formidable opponent and Carl Danzig I think does a terrific job um, with his team and you know while I have a chance Carl won his 300th game last night I'd like to just send congratulations out to him uh, we're you know we've competed against one another no one another for a, mm-hmm. a long time back from when he was an assistant at Bucknell so congratulations Carl and you know keep up the great work um, but his team is uh, is good uh, they probably have the most formidable inside game along with us so they match up well in the post so they'll be very very difficult to beat there um you know goucher obviously did us a big favor by by knocking him off down <laughs> goucher You're um, welcome. But, but that's the nature that's the nature of the league you know yeah. it's the nature of basketball um so you know i hope some crazy things happen to our opponents i hope we kind of hold serve and do what do what needs to be done uh but uh uh you know if, if we were to end this at 13 and 1 i would say wow um, but you know, I, I, when I looked at this four-game road stretch we were we were heading into, I said to my my staff and my players, this is this this is a uh, 
you know, season making or breaking two weeks because four in a row on a road in conference is tough. Juniata is a tough place to play. Uh, Drew's a tough place to play. Catholic's a tough place to play. Uh, so we've taken care of those three. Now we have to go to Bethlehem on Saturday and play at Moravian. And Justin Potts has done a, a terrific job in uh, in rebuilding that program quickly. And, uh, um, you know, they went into Scranton one last week. So I know that they will be a, a really, really tough game for us. But, yeah, that, 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 that that's what it's what you live for. You know, you, li- you live for games like last night at Catholic and, you know, big conference games on the road uh, uh, this time of year. Yeah, you've had an interesting uh, January on part of the season. Four games at home, then four games on the road. Now you'll get four games on the road and then two games at home. I'm sorry, let me phrase that. Four on the at home, four on the road. Now you'll get four at home after the Moravian game, followed by two on the road. That's how you'll finish things out. Certainly interesting. We talked about adversity at the beginning. And I want to point that out. Obviously, you talked about it to close the season last year, and you've had the injuries we've talked about so far. But you also personally had some adversaries that I know a lot of people talked about, and some are even pointed out maybe motivating the team. You were diagnosed and have beaten throat cancer in the offseason. Talk about being a little bit busy in the offseason and a little bit distracted. Tell us a little bit, uh, you know, without going into whatever you don't want to go into, but tell us a little bit about the, just that life experience since the last season finished. It, uh, it rocks your world. Like, you know, probably like nothing you can imagine. Um, obviously, we came off a great season a year mm-hmm. ago. I was feeling terrific. Um, my energy was great. I uh, felt great. Um, you know, recruiting has a way of stressing you out. Sure. Um, it was late March. I was getting stressed from recruiting. And uh, I never get headaches. And I had headaches for a couple of days. So I thought, there's something up here. So I went and saw my doc, and one test led to another, led to another. And uh, I was actually traveling with our baseball team. Our baseball team was in the NCAA tournament, and I was assistant athletic director, and I was up with them in Cortland's, uh, New York. Had to come home on a Friday, May 20th, for a doctor's appointment. And I thought it was a typical doctor's appointment. I thought I was going to go in and talk to the doc, and he was going to tell me everything was good. And, go about my life. And, uh, probably about two 30 that afternoon, he told me I had throat cancer. And I was like, hmm. wow, because I said I felt great. And, um, so from May 20th, uh, the next probably four months, uh, June, July, August, September, those four, especially into prop into probably October were, were months unlike any I've led in my life. Um, you know, with, uh, my sights kind of shifting off basketball being, uh, number one to now worrying about how I'm going to, how I'm going to beat cancer. And I tried to take the same approach as I would to preparing my team. I prepared myself physically, mentally, like I was in a competition. Um, I was in arguably the best shape I've been in in a long, long time and, uh, took the treatments and went head on and I had a tough seven weeks or seven weeks day where I couldn't talk Mm. seven weeks where I couldn't eat. Um, and basketball was kind of the driving force, I think, that got me back. Uh, we had a prospect camp here. I'll tell just a quick story. We had a prospect camp here um, mid-September, late September. And I'm coming to the prospect camp. And I can't talk. Mm. But I had to come to the camp to at least show my face and evaluate and do what I could. And, you know, in the meantime, my staff, Chad Bailey, Sam Moore, Mark Prush, Aaron Ettinger, Eldon Hoy, uh, they, they held down the fort and my senior leaders – um, you know, they kept the program that we've established kind of on track. So 
they're, they're the ones that really, really deserve the credit for what happened in the offseason. Uh, but to make a long story short, I didn't have a voice until I walked in the gym that day or a prospect camp, and I got my voice back. Hmm. And I think it was the adrenaline and just the, the sense of urgency that, you know, there's a season on the horizon. I, I have to get healthy, and something kicked in. Um, and my voice started to come back little by little uh, from that time on, and I got healthier day by day. But um, I think it's made me a better coach. I think it's made me handle distractions. Uh, you know, not everything goes right during the season. Like, for instance, last night, our bus got to Catholic at 6.15 instead of 5.15 because we just hit an unbelievable amount of traffic. A year ago, I might have blown up over that. And, you know, I just take things a little bit more with a grain of salt. Um, I think my team may have you may, may be using it as motivation. You know, I don't know that it matters once the game starts. Um, from their point of view, but I think from my point of view, it helps me because I just, I think there's a calming, a sense of calm about me that I may not have had uh, prior to this. So, um, you know, they say inside of every dark cloud, there's a silver lining, and that, that's kind of how I've, uh, how I've viewed this. Certainly amazing. Congratulations, to say the least. I'm so thrilled that you were able to, to make such a great comeback. I'm glad you have your voice so we could talk to you. Now, that's another fact. And you know what's amazing? My voice has been so strong. Yeah. Stronger than before, but uh, since Saturday, I'm starting to feel it. You know, like it's like my players' legs start to go. Yeah. I feel my voice a little bit, but but I, I still think it's it's probably better than it was in years past. I still feel pretty strong. I may be a little bit hoarse, but uh, um, I'm I'm doing great. And you know, again, thanks to the basketball community, especially like from from player other players. If I can tell you another quick story, hmm. one of the hardest losses I ever had as a coach was a loss to Scranton about four or five years ago. And again, Scranton and Susquehanna, I think are pretty good rivals. And, mm -hmm. um, Matt Swaybeck was a really good player for him. Oh, yeah. hit, hit some really big shots to beat us in a game. That was one of the hardest losses I ever had in my coaching career. And, uh, I go to Thomas Jefferson for a second opinion with my youngest son, Scott. And, uh, we're coming back from having lunch, going to see my doctor again. And I see this six, eight guy walking out of Thomas Jefferson. Hmm. and uh, it's Matt Swayback, who I didn't recognize at first, but my son Scott had played on that team at Susquehanna and said, Dad, that's, that's Swayback. And uh, so we talked, and my son put it in perspective. He said, Dad, do you remember that loss that you had to Scranton? I think it was about five years ago. It was one of the toughest losses you said you ever had. I said, yeah, I do remember it very well. He said, isn't it ironic that the guy that gave you that toughest loss just said to you, anything I can do to help you, let me know, is trying to save your life. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the basketball community, the relationship community. It's really what this business, particularly at Division Three, is all about. Um, and and I, I couldn't be prouder to be a Division Three coach, prouder to have the relationships I have um, with, with people all over the conference and really all over the country. So um, it, it, it's it just it, it's really a neat thing, Dave. That's an amazing story, Coach. Uh, I am glad you shared that one, and I think we're going to end on that because it can't get any better. Uh, wonderful point of view. You're right. It's more than basketball a lot of times, and obviously after basketball there's life to live. Um, and great, great point of view. <laughs> Your son nailed it. Um, so congratulations. Seriously, win number 400. I won't ask how much more you got in you because I have a feeling watching you here today, uh, you've got a lot more in you, so we're not going to ask that one. Um, but at the same time, congratulations. Certainly an incredible accomplishment at 400, but an incredible accomplishment this season and last uh, as well. We look forward to seeing how the 
we should point out Red Hawks. We used to call you something else recently. River, Hawks, River, River Hawks. Hawks, right? River Hawks. Well, Red Hawks are another team. Uh, but it's fun. Yeah, to, yeah. Been, I've been the Crusader forever. I know. I, and I'm I've been doing everything I can not to call you a Crusader. And, and we're good with it. Yeah, there you go. Well, Coach, congratulations, like I said. Uh, as always, you give the coach a final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Uh, Dave, again, I just want to thank you and, and the, the crew at uh, D3 Hoops for all they've done to promote Division Three basketball. Uh, I think you guys are a class act. You do it the right way. Um, you know, as I said, I'm proud to be a Division Three coach. Um, you know, John Feinstein's book a few years ago, The Last Amateurs on the Patriot League, uh, you know, they're gone by the wayside. They're no longer amateurs. Yeah. Uh, you know, Division Three are the true amateurs, and we have the best kids, the best coaches. Um, you know, it, it, it's done right. I'm proud to be part of Division Three, and I, again, I just want to say thanks to you and all the guys uh, for, for all the great work you do. Um, and I want to thank, thank everybody in the basketball community at Susquehanna University, uh, my athletic director, Pam Samuelson, President Jay Lemons, uh, for all they've done for me, uh, particularly uh, over the last 28 years, but more importantly, uh, since last May. Well put, Coach. Uh, congratulations, as I said to you, on everything, including getting back from cancer and getting on the sideline. Appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the season. I know we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Dave. Dave Marcinic joining us again from Susquehanna. Appreciate him taking the time. Team is, as we mentioned, 16-2. and uh, They got a good game against Moravian coming up on Saturday. Then they're at home for four. Juniata, Goucher, Catholic, and Drew before two on the road. Scranton and Elizabethtown to close out regular season play. When we come back, oh, before I leave, I should point out, he mentioned it. Carl Danzig won his 300th yesterday, and Frank won his 400th, both in the Landmark Conference. Certainly impressive. Obviously, they didn't play all those in the Landmark Conference, but impressive for that conference. Two 700 total wins between those two coaches. That is a lot of good basketball between two teams, I would agree, are a bit of a rival. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go up to New York State, talk to the number seven team in the country, Rochester Yellow Jackets. Just how good are they? And will the UAA, will they be able to stay above the fray in the UAA? You'll listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. Our obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. My name 
It's Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Questions for us, especially for our mailbag. Even if you're not listening to the show live, we'll answer them on a future question. Email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also tweet us at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville. We're on Instagram, though mainly for promotional reasons or when we travel. We'll show you where we're at. You can follow us there at d3hoopsville as well using the hashtag hoopsville. Of course, we're live streaming this show and, of course, simulcasting it on Facebook. Facebook.com slash hoopsville is where you can find us. Of course, all those avenues as well to get more information on our Hoopsville fundraiser. We'll talk more about that as we did in the first block. We'll talk at the end of the show about that as well. Speaking of the Hoopsville mailbag, I got a question last show about do I know any other coaches who have been at Grinnell, played the system as it were, and gone on to coach but not coached the system? My answer was I couldn't remember anybody off the top of my head. Of course, we all know about Arsenault Jr., who is – the interim head coach, future head coach of Grinnell, who's obviously under the system that his dad had, and so he's teaching the system. He's not going off and being X's and O's. And I obviously said there's a lot of coaches who are probably assistants who have gone on to do it because you don't find the system everywhere, and they're eventually going to adjust to the X's and O's because they go coach elsewhere. I forgot about one coach in Division Three at least, not saying there isn't others, but one coach in Division Three who's certainly succeeding very well, coaches mainly X's and O's half-court system versus the Grinnell system. It's Rochester's head coach. Totally forgot he graduated from Grinnell because it just feels like two different worlds. Uh, Flakertsy has got a great team on his hands. It feels like it broke through about midway through last year, but that's just my point of view. We really should hear from him, shouldn't we? So we go to the City of Salem Skype hotline, and joining us there is Luke Flakertsky of Rochester. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time. So first and foremost, we'll talk about the Grinnell thing later let's talk about the season though because you're 15 and one right now you're one lone loss to wash you at home we'll talk about that as well but 15 and one you and i talked at the wendy's classic last year when you had lost to uh what was it roberts wesleyan uh in the championship game of the final wesleyan uh wendy's classic after 50 years and you had said to me listen yeah rough start as you joke seven and four is not bad but still an interesting start to the season but you felt your season was turning around and you guys kind of went on a tear in the second half and flew under a lot of radars that feels like it's moved right into this season. Yeah, I, I think that would definitely be the uh, time I would pinpoint as well. Uh, we, we played, we started a freshman point guard last year. We, we played uh, three or four other freshmen in pretty key roles. And, and so even though we had some uh, upperclassmen who were uh, kind of the, uh, the, the bones of our team, we, we had some adjustments uh, and I could see our team starting to come together and, Maybe a couple more weeks went by. I think we got off to a one and two start in the UAA, and and then we kind of caught our stride and and really started to trust our identity and, and know what we were capable of accomplishing. And uh, we we were able to win nine straight UAA games last year, which was a huge accomplishment for this group. Um, great season that ended up having a very disappointing ending, and yeah. I think that was really the fuel for the fire for this group that was returning uh, to kind of uh, achieve more. How hard is it though to have a rough spots? And, and have the confidence that it's going to turn 
and keep the guys realizing that. How hard is it to say, guys, I, I, I know, we took another loss, or we didn't play a good game, but we're heading in the right direction. This is going to break in our way very soon. How hard is it to keep them from being maybe demoralized a little bit and not say, yeah, forget it, coach, we're, we're done? It's one of the biggest challenges of being a coach, I think, is you know trying to get your group to understand um, you know what they're capable of achieving, and then you know striving for that on a consistent basis. I think every team out there will show flashes of brilliance, and it really becomes you know what percentage of a forty-minute game can you claim playing at that level? Mm-hmm. And so last season in particular, you know we we'd have some really impressive stretches. We just weren't capable uh, at that time because of our makeup of really sustaining it, uh, and it kind of just we, we were able to claim more and more. Uh, of each game as, as the season wore on, and we're really playing good basketball at the end. And certainly playing good at the end of the season. You ended up finishing 17 and 8, 10 and 4 in conference, but you guys went on a tear, except for the last two games of the season. Uh, I think I got you for about nine straight uh, uh, between late November or late January, I should say, and late February. Unfortunately, it ended with Carnegie Mellon tripping you up in double overtime and Emory tripping you up 84 uh, 75, which kind of left you guys on the outside looking in. To the NCAA tournament, uh, do you, at seventeen and eight, that's hard to say. But you almost feel like beat Carnegie Mellon and even lose to Emory, you might be in the in the tournament. Did, did it, it felt that close? Did it hurt that much as a result? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> more so that time of year. Our focus is on winning the UAA. Yeah, you were if, knocking if, on the door of that too. If we had won either of those last two games, we would we, we would have at least guaranteed ourselves a share. And so, uh, to lose those two at the end of the season, and then to miss out on the on the NCAA tournament in addition, it was it was really tough. It, like I said, a very disappointing end to a what otherwise was a great season. And you know, we talk a lot on the show about um, you know pool C's and yeah. selection criteria and all of that. And we were kind of a, a classic example last year at seventeen and eight. You know, maybe not having as many wins as we needed, so we really felt like we were one win away. Yeah, uh, but we had one of the best strengths of schedules in the country, and so we were hopeful that uh, you know the, the committee would really uh, value that, and and that would get us in. So it wasn't until Monday at noon that you know we're sitting in that room uh, with our team, and you know not getting the good news that we wanted. And yeah. one of the toughest rooms I've been in as a coach. Yeah, I think I even dropped a hint at one point in the in the bracket saying, if you've seen this team in, there's another one sitting knowing that's bad news. Um, and I, I was thinking of you guys at the time. 17 and 8 right on that Mendoza line. They talk about the yep. 667 since we've started the SOS and no team getting a pool C bid below 667. You were sitting at 680. And I know we're not going to a tournament. The UAA is the last bastion in the entire NCAA now that the Ivy League's going to postseason that will not have a postseason. And I understand all the arguments for it. I am not going to make an argument for it. But at the same time, does it almost feel like, oh, if we had had a tournament, we would have had a chance at one maybe two more wins without an AQ, depending on its format, that could have maybe gotten us that extra couple that could have gotten us in. Yeah, no, that's certainly one of the arguments for it. Um, you know, it's when we're getting on, on that board and we're compared against other teams, many have two or three more wins because they played in a postseason tournament. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we don't have that same access, but, you know, I wouldn't trade our league for anything. 
No, and certainly, and I'm not trying to argue that you guys go to a tournament. I know how complicated it would be for the UAA. That's not my point. I just I find it tough and ironic for you guys. But again, it flowed right into this year. I uh, started the season with a, an overtime win against Ithaca, um, rolled to, through some good teams. Hobart's shown that they're a pretty good team, and you beat them by 14. St. John Fisher you beat by 11, and they have emerged at the top of the E8. Uh, beat Nazareth Geneseo by two, and Geneseo has come on to be a pretty good team this year. Um, RIT before conference play. You had to be pretty confident going into the UAA the way you played your out-of-conference out of schedule. Well, we always try year in and year out to make our non-conference schedule as challenging as we can. Um, and, you know, it doesn't do us any good uh, to play teams that don't prepare us to compete in the UAA. And so we want to, uh, you know, scheduling is not always a perfect science, but we want to get uh, as many good opponents as we can and challenge ourselves with the best teams in Rochester and in the East region. And, you know, even though we did go 11-0 in the non-conference, you know, those a lot of those games were very down-to-the-wire close games, and, and that experience really helped us, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, develop our confidence that, that we can pull out those close victories and you know, position us well going into UAA play. I know I was pretty high on Emory at the beginning of the season. Not pretty high. I had him in my top 25. That's high. I actually had you in my top 25 as well. So I was really looking forward to the January 7th game. You guys destroyed Emory. 30 points at home. Tell us a little bit of, is that a sign of just how good you guys are or that maybe guys like me completely misread Emory? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think playing on the road in the UAA is incredibly challenging. Um, I know everyone says that, but you know, just the the makeup of our of our league, the travel that's associated with it, and just the quality of teams that you're playing on the road is 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 really hard. And so, <clears throat> I think what I can say about the game was, you know, our team when when we are clicking it can be really a very high level team. We don't always sustain that, but. Uh, I think our best is, is really good. And, um, you know, I think it's just kind of a perfect storm. We talk a lot, uh, at least I do, when I'm thinking of, uh, you know, uh, opponents and how games are going to go. Just like if we played this team 10 times, you know, uh, how would the game games come out? And I, I think that was kind of a one out of 10 game. I, we could play Emory nine more times and, and we wouldn't have a similar result. So. Uh, the next weekend you faced off against Chicago and Wash U. Had to come from behind against Chicago to, to eke out the win there, 88-82. Then Wash U tripped you up, 81-76. Since then you've beaten Carnegie Mellon and Case Western. Since that is pretty much the only loss on your resume, tell us a little bit about the Wash U game. Clearly they are better than I expected them to be this season as well. They're on top of the conference. You're a game back. Was that just one that, that slipped away from you guys? It, it came down to the end. It came right down to the end. But you know, is that a slip-away game, or did WashU just go out there and win it? Uh, WashU's a very good team. Uh, it's a little bit ironic because if you look back, their their trajectory in a way is is similar to ours. You know, yeah. they were a young, inexperienced group at times last year that played really good basketball that, that sometimes just couldn't get over the hump. And, you know, they finished the season off with a lot of steam and, and they returned largely that whole group. And uh, and so they've been able to play with a lot more confidence and, and consistency this year. And so I have a ton of respect for WashU and that program. And it was a very good game, came down to the end. And, you know, unfortunately, we we're on the wrong side. And, you know, we're very anxious and eager to have that opportunity to play in St. Louis coming up. I was going to say, though, that's the trick. You unfortunately lost at the Palestra. I know in the grand scheme of the UAA, you'd rather protect home court and deal with what you can on the road. Now there's a little bit of pressure to win that game in St. Louis. That that That's probably not ideal in your mind. No, uh, but, you know, obviously if, if you want to be uh... – 
you know, the champions in the UAA, you're going to have to win games like that. And True. so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if we, if we don't win it, we don't necessarily deserve to win the UAA. So uh, I can pretty much guarantee it's going to be another great contest, but that's true of uh, our league pretty much each and every night. Graphic pops up at the bottom of the screen saying you're outscoring your opponents 80.3 to 65.1 a, a game. I couldn't check the conference necessarily. I didn't feel like doing the math. Um, it, it's it's pretty impressive to see what you guys are doing. You have three seniors on their squad, and they're the ones leading the way. Uh, Sam Boris-Smith, Mac Monagu, and, and Zach Ayers, all double figures, 17.1, 16.9, and 10.1 respectively. Uh, 5.4, 4.0, and 5.4 respectively in rebounding. And obviously Borst. Uh, Boris Smith leading the way in assists at 3.1, but Montague is also doing well at 2.6. It's obviously a three-headed monster in that sense. It's the three seniors. They're double figures. They're leading the way. I have a feeling there's more to this team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think this past weekend on the road was a, a great example. Um, you know, I could talk about the three seniors and, you know, how much they've matured and, and how well they're playing in their senior campaigns. But, uh, you know, the, our biggest strength right now is, you know, our balance as a team. And uh, we've had a lot of different guys step up and have big games. Uh, most notably this weekend, our sophomore class was was huge in, in both wins and uh, continue to kind of, uh, you know, take advantage of the focus that's that's put on our senior group. So uh, Ryan Klamich had 19 uh, at, at Case Western. Uh, Jake Wittig, our, our sophomore point guard, had two big double-digit games. And, you know, Andrew Lundstrom, our post player, played very well on Friday night. So, um, you know, we really are a, a well-balanced team, and I, I think that is really making us hard to play against. Does it also have a feeling that you got to do it this year? I mean, you've got three seniors leading the way in scoring. You know, you're not going to get them back next season. And I know there's other guys who can step up. But I, when I read a box score like that and I sense what the team has done in the past 18 months, I get this feeling that you, you need to finish this on a high note. And, I, you know, if that's a national championship, that's maybe high. But I mean, finishing by winning or at least in the run for the UAA and getting into the NCAA tournament, or maybe it's a lost season. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely our goal. Um, you know, I think that our, our, these seniors in particular were motivated by so, coming so close and not accomplishing that last mm -hmm. year. I think that really drove them in the off season and, and through the fall. And, you know, I think that, you know, anything less than that would be really disappointing for this group. But, um, you know, I think this weekend uh, was, gave us some, some quiet confidence moving forward that, that you know, the program's going to be in good hands even after they graduate. Yeah, that is a fair point. Of course, Sam Borsmith has gotten plenty of attention, not only a preseason All-America pick, uh, first-team pick, I think, uh, if my memory serves from doing that correctly. Um, if not, I'm just brain dead. Uh, but he also was a, uh, obviously got a lot of attention last year, and he also had one of the best assists I have ever seen in my life last season, the throw off the off the rim and and hit the guy in the corner for a win over Chicago, that seemed to be the catalyst to last year. How much is is he enjoying the spotlight, and how much is the spotlight maybe bearing down on the team a little bit? Yeah, I mean that was a special moment, and that that's one of the things that you know the guys on that team will carry with them for their entire lives. They'll be talking about it for years to come. And, and, you know, so he, he got a lot of accolades The the school got a lot of nice publicity as a result. And it's a really fun moment. And it was in, an important part of the season. It really kind of kept our momentum uh, because, you know, that was a game that, you know, we had basically lost. And so, um, you know, that, that was a lot of fun. You know, I give Sam a ton of credit though. I think, you know, what he's done that is really impressive this season is that he has completely, 
you know, not tried to do too much. He, he's com- bought into our team concepts again and plays his role and is quick to defer to his teammates uh, when that's what the game calls for and uh, incredibly unselfish. And, you know, his him being a great team player is, is really why, you know, we're, we're so successful this year. He is shooting 51% from the floor, 40% from beyond the arc, 72% from the free throw line, second or leads it tied with the team lead in rebounding at 5.4. 3.1 assists a game, three steals a game. Yeah, I think he's he's doing a lot. Is there anything about his game that's unappreciated? <laughs> I think him as a defensive player, he hmm. he he kind of uh, is a unique defensive player, but he's in the top five and I think steals and and steals per game uh, nationally. Um, he, he has a chance here to graduate as our all-time leader in program history over 100 years of Rochester basketball as the all-time leader in steals. And so, uh, you know, he he isn't your traditional defender. Uh, you know, he's not like a hawk on the ball, but uh, you know, he has an unbelievable uh, kind of knack for getting his hand in places and getting steals. And you know, he's certainly uh, the way we play defense. He, he's a big piece of it. Before I leave your roster, I did notice uh, Brendan O'Shea, your sophomore uh, guard, six foot one. Uh, from Burlington, Vermont. I noticed he went to the Hotchkiss School. Listen, I graduated from the Salisbury School, which is on the other side of the same town. And let me just say, next time you feel like recruiting from Hotchkiss, you better check with me first. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not all, the, all that keen with O'Shea here. I'm yeah. nervous. He's a coach's kid. He's one of the best in our program. That's and... not the answer I was looking for, Coach. <laughs> we'll, we'll take him every day, every time. So. As I, uh, I, I completely joke. Hotchkiss, a terrific school, just a big rival of mine. Um, we talk about we talked at the beginning of of your kind of progression through. You did go to Grinnell. You played the run and gun of the system. I tried to look up your stats on the NCA website. They didn't have them. I, I haven't gotten to Grinnell's page to be honest to see if they've got any archives of how you did there. But my biggest question is: first, you had to transition into that from high school. Then you transitioned out. What's it like to be coaching something that you absolutely did not play in college? Yeah, no, I mean, I had an unbelievable experience at Grinnell, and uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, you know, some of the best years of my life, and um, had a great experience as a true student athlete at, at, at a really good academic school. And so uh, I made a great decision there, and it's really helped shape me moving forward. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've worked and been around some really good basketball minds, uh, starting with my freshman basketball coach in high school. My high school coach was a very strong coach, um, and then both in college and, and since, you know, the coaches I've worked for as an assistant have really just, you know, uh, given me a lot of diversity, a lot of different thoughts about basketball, and I really just describe myself and our program as just an amalgamation of all those experiences, and Grinnell certainly plays a role in, in our program and, and things we teach, uh, and, you know, maybe not specifically the style, but and there are aspects that are certainly a result of my experience there uh i have looked up i can't find your stuff that quick so we'll just leave it alone um not I a lot of screens and, and got a lot of offensive rebounds <laughs> i was go. not one of the scores so <laughs> obviously your, your tenure then went through some interesting and pretty good schools uh, as an assistant coach we talked about uh or we know about going to suwanee you were an assistant coach at amherst uh in their first two trips to the to the final or final four i think it was the first two trips or at least two trips Along the way, uh, your record at Amherst as an assistant coach was over 100 wins. I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head how many losses, maybe 21. It was pretty spectacular. Then got to Rochester for a year and went to Skidmore for, for three years as a head coach and came back to Rochester. 
What is it about maybe the East Coast or, or the Upper East, because you, you, you lived in Utah, that, that has drawn you and the basketball being played on this area? Well, you know, the, the D3 landscape is really, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, I growing up in the Mountain West, you know, I knew I wanted a great school and I knew I wanted to play basketball and there just aren't that many options. Um, you know, there's only one in the whole Mountain West region, really. Um, and so I knew I had to go somewhere. And so, you know, I ended up in the Midwest for college and then had just an amazing experience as a, as a true student athlete. And, you know, my goal in getting into coaching was to help everyone who came through our program have that same rewarding experience. And so I've definitely tilted towards, you know, the higher academic schools and working with uh, kind of the pinnacle uh, students as, as well as athletes at this level. And it's kind of guided all my professional decisions. Now, speaking of the East region, kind of get me back into the basketball of now. You're in an interesting region. Uh, heads up, in any pace anybody know, doesn't know, we'll get a couple extra teams ranked in the East region this year when the rankings come out in two weeks. Um, we'll get a better sense of what's going on. We talked about being left at the altar, essentially, um, last season, just missing out. I'm having trouble getting a grip of this East region this year. You know, Suniac was supposed to be really incredible to watch this year. Brockport, some odd losses, but sits on top of that conference. Can't make my mind up around the Empire Eight, the Liberty League, Saint, you know, SLU. I didn't expect to be up there. Got yourselves in the mix. What do we make of this East Region this year? You know, I, I think it's still strong. You know, I think the the Suniac in particular is, is kind of stood out to me as probably the the strongest league uh, at the top. Um, you know, but I think East Region basketball is always very competitive. I always talk about how good basketball in the greater Rochester area is. I don't think people necessarily appreciate how good the, the seven uh, D3 schools in, in our immediate vicinity are. So, um, you know, I do think it's very competitive, uh, but I, I would kind of tilt towards some of the top uh, Liberty League, top SUNYAC schools as, as kind of the strongest in the East region. And so last year you miss out you know why, why it needs to be important to be kind of at the upper end of the regional rankings. So not only are you racing to try and be at the top of the UAA, but I'm sure you're cognizant of trying to be in the right position of the East region. And obviously there's nothing you could do besides win or lose games, but how much do you have to drive home the fact that not only are we trying to keep up for the UAA title here, but we got to keep our minds on the fact that there's another way in. Yeah, you know, we uh, we try to keep some of that away from from our players. You know, we, we try to focus more just on game to game, day to day stuff, uh, especially early in the in the non conference schedule. But as coaches, you know, hey, you know, this could be a really important regional win for us or a common opponent victory that that might pay dividends down the road. And so, uh, this group did obviously everything it could. We were eleven and zero non conference against East Region teams, and um, you know, positioned ourselves with you know common opponents and head to head matchups the best we could and. and you know, now we've kind of shifted our focus to, uh, you know, just trying to take care of business in the UAA and hopefully compete for UAA championship. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Obviously, it's always fun to talk to a team who plays in the Palestra, which I finally got a chance to see last year. One of the great home court advantages, to say the least. Has anybody been tempted to check anybody into the boards, though? That's what I always want to know. Uh, you know, it, it's it's it, it's probably harder on the officials than any. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of room on that baseline for them to maneuver. <laughs> but um, you know, our national player of the year in 2013, John DeBartolomeo, probably used the wall the most to his advantage. Uh, he would kind of come in full speed for layups and really use it to push off to get back on defense quicker. And so, uh, it's an interesting place to play, but certainly one of the best in the country. Yeah, certainly one of the cooler places to check out a Division Three game on the top five of must-see gyms 
in my opinion. Well, thanks, Coach. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? As always, you know, you know, thank you to you and everyone at D3 Hoops, uh, just the coverage they give. I know that becomes cliche here for coaches on the show, but, you know, we really are appreciative. And, uh, you know, I personally am grateful that, you know, I get this opportunity to, to work with student athletes at this level and um, help them have a positive experience. So uh, you certainly add to that positive experience. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Coach. I appreciate it very much. Good luck the rest of the way. I, I have a feeling we'll be talking about you in March, but I hope we're talking to you in March at the same time. I appreciate it. Luke Flakertsy joining us here from Rochester. Again, the team is only got one loss, 15-1 and one overall, 4-1. and one. They'll have that crazy UAA schedule where they'll play at home against NYU and Brandeis this weekend before then going on the road to play NYU and Brandeis. A couple weekends away, it'll be Chicago and Wash U, and they'll finish off against Carnegie Mellon and, and Case Western Reserve before going down to Atlanta to wrap up the season. When we come back, we go from one Yellow Jackets team to another Yellow Jackets team. We go from Rochester men to Wisconsin Superior women trust me the transition transition makes more sense in my head but we will go there coming up you're listening to hoops Hill presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca studios nabc wbca studios we'll be back with more right after this educate your student body faculty staff and local community on how to prevent sexual assault and how to support survivors to recognize that non-consensual sex is sexual assault to identify situations in which sexual assault may occur. To intervene in situations where consent has not or cannot be given. To create an environment in which sexual assault is unacceptable and survivors are supported. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Thursday edition of the show. Don't forget we're on the air Sundays and Thursdays, 7 o'clock Eastern time. But if you miss us live, not a big deal. You can watch us on demand or download the podcasts or just listen to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't forget uh, Hoopsville Mailbag segment coming up at the end of the show, especially for those of you who may be listening to the podcast. Obviously, we won't be able to answer your questions on this show. But if you email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com, we'll answer your questions on a future show. Uh, also, don't forget, Hoops Home um, Fundraiser is has been kicked off. We'll talk more about that as we already have at the end of the show. Of course, co coincides with the Hoops Home Marathon coming up in exactly a week. We'll, we'll be sitting in this chair for 12 hours talking Division Three basketball. Hope you can join us for that. Uh, maybe not for all of it. I'll be here for all of it, but hopefully you can join us for part of it. Going to talk women's basketball now. And we're going to head out to the West region, talk to a team that uh, is dominating their conference ever since they got in it. No surprise there whatsoever. Um, it's more about 
is the competition right behind them going to maybe nip them in the heels or can the can the uh, UW Superior women's team continue to their way to another NCAA tournament berth? It was a tough start to the season, losing three of four, but they've only lost one game since then. And as we said, dominating the conference, 14-4 overall, 10-0 in conference play. And joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Skype hotline is their head coach, Don Mulhorn. Uh, Mulhern. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Welcome, or thank you for the welcome, and I appreciate you having me today. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time, as always. First and foremost, again, a little bit of a rough start. Lost three of the first four games against St. Benedict, Augsburg, and Eau Claire. Uh, that can be something that can sometimes maybe derail a program or certainly give coaches a, a bit of a coronary. Uh, how, did, how did you guys react, or did you kind of expect the start to be a little rough? Well, of those games, one was a uh, last-second shot loss. The other one was also, I think, a two-point. So those games, we were right in them, played very good teams, and we certainly didn't play as well as what we can. But on the other hand, we really try to play good competition. Every one of those teams is very well-coached, and uh, you know, it was a chance to kind of see where we're at. Um, we weren't anywhere near where we are now, but you get better at playing against good competition, and we focus upon the process, not the outcome, and we knew that if we fixed some things along the way, we would get better, and we've been working to do that. Yeah, the St. Benedict game, a point. Augsburg, two points. Obviously, the Eau Claire game, pretty good Eau Claire squad. Very good. got you by 14. Yeah, we saw them in Vegas. They're, they're pretty good. And of course, the conference is pretty good. It, it, you guys almost timed it perfectly to get out of the conference uh, because it has gotten so deep and it has gotten so difficult. Um, there are a lot of good teams in the WIAC now. You guys would have just added to what would have been a very muddy season. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good conference, and we think we're in a good conference also. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 we all know the, the, the reasons for the move. Um, you're now 10-0 and in the UMAC. Your only other loss was to St. Catherine back on December 30th uh, in, a, in what I assume was your tournament at home, 61-58. Is that just a matter of exhaustion after the holidays, coming back, playing a second game, or, or is that a, also an indication that St. Catherine may be a team that no one's really paying attention to? Let me tell you, St. Catharines is a very good team. They're very well coached. They've got some really good athletes, and uh, you know, that's a game where we got down, came back. They kind of pulled it out the end, and good basketball game, and my hat's off to them. And let me tell you, they're going to do damage in the MIAC this year and the coming years is that St. Catharines team and their coaching staff is on the right track. Yeah, unfortunately, they've lost four of their last six, but prior to that, they were on a tear. You never know what could be the factor there they got lots of season ahead of them of course since then you've won five straight and as a result 13 of 14 with wins this past week over north central and northwestern uh, out in minnesota what's been the key so far to the season to your success uh, obviously you're outscoring your opponents by a significant margin on the average but what's been the maybe the underlying factor that's been so that's allowed you to be so good this year I think two things. Number one is our freshmen are really growing up. We've got some freshmen that are going to be very good in the future. Starting the year, <clears throat> I knew that they were going to be, but they weren't quite ready for the college game. I think that they've really upped their game, and that's been a big factor. I think the second thing that equally as important is that our players have bought into defense. Uh, in the past, we've had very good defenses, and every team and every year you have a new flavor. People have to buy in that defense matters. And we've played a little bit different man-to-man uh, -man defense in the past this year. And our players have really bought into that you can bring defense every game if you have your intensity, your hustle, and that. You know, offense, sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're not shooting-wise. But defense is a matter of effort and intensity. And we've really bought into that the last two weeks, and that's been a big factor for us. Talking to Dan Mulhern, the head coach of Superior, and uh, obviously a team that 
has been good for a number of years. We'll talk more about that. But last year, 24-4, and 16-0 and uh, in the UMAC, and the year before, 19 wins. So this is not uncommon at this point in time to see this program succeeding so well, Coach. Um, this is a program, too, that, that's got a lot of underclassmen and a lot of experience. You do not have a senior on this squad. If anybody in the UMAC or up in your region knows that, they're probably a little bit worried. This squad comes back raring to go next year, and it's already playing well this year. How much of an advantage of not having any upperclassmen like seniors to graduate has maybe come into play this year? Well, we purposefully in games get our incoming players or newcomers game time. I just think that coaches need to think long term. And sometimes, you know, whether you maybe are win by 10 or by 20, it doesn't really matter. I get my younger players in earlier than later so that they get depth, they get experience. I think that's really helped us the last couple of years is that we have players every year that have played the year before. So we're not kind of starting over. You know, as I said, I've got three freshmen this year that early in the season really kind of got their feet wet and are now playing well. And I think that if you do that and purposefully plan ahead, you don't really have the down years because you've got players always that have the experience rather than having to have people start after a year, never having been on the court before in a tight situation. That does mean sometimes you take some lumps. I mean, you know, early on we had some players that maybe weren't quite ready, but you have to go through the growing pains and realize objectively that those growing pains will help you in the long term. And that's really helped us a lot over the course of the last three or four years by having players come back that have experience. You've got six or seven juniors. You've got nine freshmen, um, one sophomore, two sophomores. So obviously you've got a little bit of a load here coming up in the future. You'll have a lot of seniors next year, but those freshmen will be sophomores with the experience that you're gaining here. Is that just a, a, a happenstance that you kind of have a couple loaded years? I know most coaches don't want to necessarily get un, uneven like that. You know, recruiting a Division three it's an art. It's not a science. And, you know, I know every D3 coach will say this. You can put as much work in one year as the next year. In one year, things fall into place in terms of recruits coming and staying. And the next year, you can do the exact same effort and energy. And things just maybe don't go your way recruiting-wise. So I guess my answer is, is that there was no difference or change in strategy from one of the years to the next. Some years, you have kids come, and it seems like it becomes a fit. And other years, for other reasons, people get hurt, get sick, and all those things that doesn't happens so no goal there to have it be different it just has kind of turned out that way sure you're being led by a sophomore in hannah norland uh at 13.7 points a game and then haley Cotney, uh a, a junior at 13.6 points a game then 9.9 points from ava um I'm, hopefully i can go ahead even reiners even reinerson i'll let you say it reiners you you bet who's a freshman so it kind of speaks to that junior freshman group along with the sophomores that everybody's kind of contributing. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, you're set, scoring 73 points a game, but only two are in double figures. You're getting a lot of players involved. Well, last year, as an example to that, we had a good year last year, and last year I only had one player average in double figures. And we are a team that's not going to be about one or two girls. We're just not going to do that. We're a team that, depending upon what the other team gives us or who's having a good night. Ironically, last year we had 10 different girls be leading scorers in games, which is kind of an amazing thing. So it's kind of hard to defend us because, depending upon the defense or who's hot in that night, any one girl can step up and have a great game for us. And that's been the team. It's what's helped us become a pretty good basketball team. Last season, you had had one loss since uh, November 24th. To November 24th, you lost to St. Benedict, 
And then you lost to St. Catherine. Interesting enough, the same two teams nipped you this <laughs> year. Right. Uh, St. Catherine beat you on February 8th in a non-conference game. So that was the only loss you had for the bulk of the season before you ran into Oshkosh in a friendly old old Wyack game in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And they beat you by 10. So here, here's the tough question. I, I know you guys like being in the UMAC, but you've been dominating the UMAC. Is it? Do you are you concerned that sometimes the conference may not? And granted, we're working on a very short and small window of information. Maybe isn't preparing you for the conference tournament as much as maybe the WIAC had been? Well, you know, that's a philosophical question. I guess my response is, is that we go into every game not focusing upon our opponent, but upon are we getting better or not? And I think that if, you know, Brad Stevens, Boston Celtics coach, talks about being process-oriented, we talk a lot about the process. And if we're doing things on our end to get better, for example, if we're executing our offense and or our defense, we can get better at that regardless of who we're playing against. On the other hand, you can also win games and not get better. And if we win a game and maybe don't get better, you know, we're on our players about that. So I guess my point is, is that if you focus upon process and improvement of the process, it's somewhat irrelevant as to who you're playing in terms of getting better. But I guess I'd like to add to that is, you know, our conference this year, Minnesota Morris is really, really good. I mean, they've improved their game. Northwestern College, Aaron Call, very good coach. Bethany Lutheran, you know, they've got two of the best guards in the whole Midwest. So I think that, you know, Northland College, they've won two games against Wyack schools this year. Mm-hmm. So I think that the UMAC is absolutely slowly but surely getting better. And we got coaches that are really getting after it recruiting-wise. And it's a conference it's got good people, good quality coaches that are going to be better and better. Of course, you got a tough trip ahead of you, though. For you, it actually is probably the easiest of it. I think you might be the closest of the conference to Finlandia and Northland. Technically, Finlandia playing in the UMAC as part of the UMAC schedule, but not a part of the UMAC. It's a little complicated, but let's just say this gives Finlandia a chance to play games, kind of rounds out the conference schedule for everybody else. But you technically are the closest to Finlandia. Everybody else has got a haul ahead of them. For you guys, it's practically a, a Sunday drive. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm saying that relatively speaking. Uh, and obviously you have Northland ahead of you too. So what, what, obviously it's a road trip coming up. It's UMAC play, but it's two of the lower teams in the conference. How do you keep the team focused, especially with an interesting trip ahead of you? Well, I, I guess two answers to that. One is, is that Finlandia, especially in their home court, you know, that's a drive and it's one of those places that's a tough place to play, and that's a compliment to Finlandia. And Northland College, again, they won, you know, they beat two Wyack schools this year on their home court. And Daryl Tucker, their coach, is just getting better and better with that team. They've got several players, several new girls, and we know that they're good game. They're really good. They can shoot the lights out. So I think that our players realize that we've got a special thing going, but I also think they realize that if you get ahead of yourselves, you read your press clippings, that can end real quickly. And we've done a pretty good job of keeping them great grounded and working upon next game let's play well depending on which option you take it's a four to five hour trip around the the southern coast of lake superior like i said for you guys not a big deal for everybody else it's a bit of a haul um obviously after that you'll then uh, come home for one game against martin luther and then you're on the road the last four so six of the next seven you're on the road for a little bit of a, an interesting uh, schedule, as it were, for conference play. That can wear on people a little bit when they're not getting to enjoy their home gym. How, have you? Has a team even realized that this schedule's ahead of you? Have you guys even tried to figure out how to maybe keep the team from wearing out? Because you never know what happens on a bus on a Division Three trip, especially in the northern part of our country. 
You know, it's an interesting question. It's kind of weird. In the last 10, 11 years that I've been in Superior, we've really only had, I think, one total game that's been canceled due to weather, wow. which you'd think it'd be more than that. Yeah. But we certainly, we certainly, Dave, have had games where we've driven through snow and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I guess the answer is you can control what you can control, and what you can't, you kind of not try to focus upon. Uh, I think the bigger thing is, is that, you know, when you're playing at home, you eat your own food, sleep in your own bed, and on the road, it just isn't quite the same. But our girls on the road trips, we travel with their men, and our men's team and women's team gets along well. So I think it's been kind of a us-against-the-world sort of thing, where you get on the bus, you have fun, you sing some songs together and all those sorts of things. I think that we've created a fun atmosphere of that and kind of a, a little bit of an adventure atmosphere on a road trip, which has made it kind of a fun experience for the players. We should point out, back at the beginning of December, you played four games in seven days, all of them on the road, Northwestern and North Central were away games on the second and third. Then on the sixth, you played Stout in non-conference play. And then on the uh, ninth, you played Northland. I should say it was uh, five games in eight days. The difference was Finlandia ended up being a home game on the tail end of that. Um, so in other ways, you maybe have already gone through this and, and maybe on a stacked version since you had four games uh, in seven days on the road and eight games in five, period. And, you know, the WIAC, we were toward the northern end of the WIAC geographically, right. I emphasize. So we, again, I think our team is kind of toughened up with the road games and travel and stuff. And, you know, I think that a bus ride you can make into what you want to. And, I, you know, the girls, we have a team that really has great team chemistry and likes each other. And when you get on the bus and you can have the different movies and the laughter and stuff, that can be kind of a fun thing, team bonding and then, the you know, the hotel trips. So I think that you can make road trips into what you want to. And if you frame it as it's kind of a fun spend time together, do things together thing, it can think be a real positive. Before you let you go, I wanted to, to point out something that's interesting. You know, people look at this squad and know what the last five years have been. And we talk 14 and 4 now, 26 and 4 the year before, 19 and 8 in 2015, 16 and 12 in 2014, and 19 and 8 in 2013. People see that this is a very good program, has gotten wins, has been very, I wouldn't say dominant, but certainly in the conversation. People might not realize that you have a below 500 record at Superior. It wasn't this easy for a long time. Five to eight wins was the norm for a number of years. It changed about 2012 when you went 12 and 14, and that opened the floodgates to where we are today. What changed? And it was a quick change. It was in a span of two years. You went from 8 and 17 to 19 and 8. What changed? And... Was I mean, is there a key thing that changed or was there a mentality that changed? What, what was the dynamic that shifted this program in such a dramatic dir direction? If you look at the numbers, I would agree that from a number point of view, Dave, that the numbers did change within a small amount of time. But I would suggest that in life and anything, anytime that positive change occurs, the input of change and the getting personnel that buy in takes a lot longer. So it wasn't like one year all of a sudden players figured it out. That's sure. just not correct. What it was was changing the culture. And I realize that that's a cliche in coach speak. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that when I was hired here, we had to develop some new habits, some positive ways of thinking. And there's players that weren't maybe part of the outcome that really helped with provide the different in attitude, work ethic, and for example, our players do a lot of summer stuff. We're involved in a couple of different summer leagues that the NCAA sponsors, weekend tournaments and stuff. And that didn't happen when I first got here. Our players in the offseason, and every team now does that, they lift and they buy into that. So I guess the change is, is the work and the input and sweat equity that the players have put in that then shows up in an outcome two or three years later. 
you know, today is real, Dave. Everybody wants instant results. But to be honest, successful teams put in the work two to three years before they get the outcome. And our players have been willing to buy in and know that the outcome will occur. And I'm lucky to have young ladies that have bought into that. And that's what the change has been. One other thing I wanted to ask you about before you go, if anybody knows your career coaching, there was a, a three seasons there where you, where you left women's basketball and you dabbled in men's basketball at Lindenwood in Missouri. Uh, and then you went back to women's basketball. Uh, I can probably understand why you went into men's basketball. It tends to be the draw, to be honest, especially for male coaches. They kind of go, hey, I want to go back into the men's game. But what drew you back to the women's game? Yeah, that's a complex question. Um, I guess I'd say a couple things. One is that I really, really like the women's game, I think, is kind of what Naismith back in the mm. day, I think, really talked about. You know, it's a lot of passing, cutting, moving, and actually, you know, passing the ball in team basketball. Um, so that draws me to it. I think the second thing was the opportunity to get back near my family, which this job afforded. And I guess I would say this. I think that, and you know, there's there's biases and pluses to everything, but I think that the women's game, women, female athletes buy into the team and the, you know, the team chemistry and such, which I really like. I like that our team is a family and they like that kind of stuff. We do a lot of team bonding stuff. I like being able to have a team male who can sit and actually enjoy each other. And I think that those things, a female athlete have really been good at buying into and it's made it fun for me and what I really enjoy as a coach. Yeah, great insight, Coach. Appreciate you taking the time to 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 point to chat with us and give us that insight as well, and giving us an idea of what's happening on the southern shore of Lake Superior. As always, we give the coach the final word on this show. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, I just want to thank you, Dave. I mean, D3 Hoops, I remember back when I got this job, D3 Hoops started really expanding, and it's become something that everybody tunes into. And I don't want to, you know, just toot your horn for the sake of selling it for me, but, you know, you've made this a forum where the fans, the, the, the whole community of Division Three basketball loves seeing it. And I thank you for, you know, giving us a voice and making this just a fun experience for the Division Three student-athlete. Well, thank you, Coach, for taking the time to come on the show and chat as well. It, it helps, especially via Skype. It's nice to see you. A little yeah, insight, by the cool. way. They can't see me because this video camera is on the show. They can't see me, so this is strange for them. But for me, it's great. I love it. <laughs> uh, Coach, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the season. We look forward to seeing how you, you everything plays out. Expect to see you in March and hope to see you there. You bet. Thank you, Dave. Don Mulhern joining us from Superior. Again, the team is 14-4 and overall, have lost one game since early December, or late November, I should say. They got Finlandia Northland on the road coming up. When we come back, we'll continue the women's basketball topic, and we'll talk to a team in the top 10. The undefeated Ohio Northern Polar Bears joins us. Coach Duran joins us here on Hoopsville. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Dot com.
I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this Thursday edition, as we have said already, uh, talking women's basketball uh, currently, but uh, obviously lots to cover. So if you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, where we are live simulcasting the broadcast on Facebook Live. You can join us there at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And, of course, any of you who might be watching on demand, or via the um, podcasts. We appreciate you taking the time. Hope you can interact with us. Of course, that is in part by the Hoopsville mailbag. You can email us, as we mentioned, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. But interact with us on social media as well. If you have questions you'd like to share with us, we'd love to have them, uh, so on and so forth. Um, remember, coming up at the end, if we have any questions, we'll do the Hoopsville mailbag. We'll also recap anything that's happening tonight and talk about other details as well. And I keep the topic of women's basketball going. Talk to Wisconsin Superior, who's certainly having another good season. Another team that's having a tremendous season. And really, it's been almost um, expected for the last six, seven or so years that the Polar Bears of Ohio Northern are going to be in the conversation, not only in the OAC, but nationally. But I almost feel like they maybe have flown a little under the radar. Even I was surprised when I noticed they were still undefeated and we hadn't talked to Coach Duran. Sometimes it happens that way, and sometimes it's just missed. But they're 18-0. They've moved into the top 10 in the D3Hoops.com top 25. Coming off of last season's 23-5 campaign, you've got to be certainly impressed with their 18-0 campaign so far now. But what does it all mean, and how's the season really progressing behind the scenes? Well, that's why we talk to coaches. And joining us on the uh, City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is their head coach, Michelle Duran. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, I say this all the time, probably with you. You got to be thrilled with what's going on in in, in Atta, Ohio. Absolutely, it's uh, it's been a fun year so far. Yeah, absolutely. Eighteen and zero uh, certainly mm-hmm. uh, has been fun. Though we'll talk about the uh, near miss uh, against Wilmington uh, on <laughs> Wednesday night, but that was obviously a big game, but you started off the season with wins over Case Western and Mount St. Joseph. You kind of started rolling along, got some other wins against some. Um, other Great Lake regional foes got into conference play and you, and you start off tough Capital and Wilmington right out of the gate and you beat Wilmington 78 51. Uh, you know, this is a team that again, you just beat last night in overtime, but they're sitting behind you and tied for second in the conference. You really kind of got the season rolling in the right way, right from the get go. Yeah, I mean, we we started with some pretty tough teams. Of course, anyone in our conference, I think, is really good. Uh, or anyone can beat anyone in our conference. So, um, going to Capital is always difficult for us. So it was good for us to get out of out of there with a win. And Wilmington, I think, is one of the best teams around in our region. Even though you know they've lost a few games, they've played a really difficult schedule. And um, that game was actually tied at halftime when we played at home, and then we played a little bit better in the second half. And course last night was a little more difficult at their place <laughs> <laughs> yeah this conference has had 20 win plus wins uh teams three of them at mm-hmm. least the last four seasons uh mm-hmm. of course you've been in the conversation the most there but john carroll and baldwin wallace and mountain union and the and the like it has certainly made this conference a fascinating one to watch right now you're sitting on top by three games over baldwin wallace who's eight and three wilmington who we mentioned who's eight and three and 12 and six overall 
but there's others who are just kind of lurking, uh, and, and, and it feels deeper this year. Muskegon's got a 500 record. Capital's at 500. Marietta's above 500. Mount Union's at 500. Otterbein's just below 500. Is it deeper this year, um, or is that maybe going to separate a little bit as we kind of head into the second round of, of, of conference action? I don't think it will, Dave. I think we are deeper as a conference. I think, uh, again, anywhere you go, you can get beat. Last night there were three overtime games in our conference and another game settled by one point. So um, the clo- the the furthest or margin of victory last night, I think uh, Capital beat Muskingum by four. Mm. The rest of the games were either overtime or one-point games. So, <laughs> Speaking uh, of overtime, you had Wilmington in overtime. Uh, of course, yeah. that was on the road, 62-61. You know, for a team that you guys kind of controlled easily earlier in the season, was it a surprise that they came back so tough, or is that because it's the second time around and that always happens? We absolutely expected that, and uh, the second time around is always more difficult. I have a lot of respect for their coach, so I knew going in there um, that it would be difficult for us to win there, and uh, it was a crazy, crazy atmosphere. <laughs> they had a great crowd, and, uh, you know, it was difficult. It. If the depth has gotten deeper, and you're expecting to have tougher second games, as most would, and especially Wilmington showed it would be. Does that maybe that 18-0 and 0 mark uh, overall and that 11-0 and 0 mark in conference play maybe jump out as being maybe even more significant? I think um, about four years ago we went, we actually went 18-0 in the conference, and I was talking to my assistant about that the other day, and uh, this just feels way more difficult than that did. I, and I, I think it's because of that. It's just so deep, and you know, every time out, you just never know what's going to happen. Last time you guys lost was actually back against Carnegie Mellon in the NCAA tournament, uh, obviously because you're undefeated now, but you kind of had a nice run last season that came, on, unfortunately, undone by a, a really good Great Lakes team. We'll talk more about the Great Lakes in a minute. Has that game spurred this team in any way, or is it literally forgotten in history and this has got other motivations involved? Um, I think maybe at the beginning of the season it has spurred them a little bit just because they know they want to get back in that situation again. I mean, Carnegie Mellon was a great team last year, and, and we just felt like we let one slip away. Uh, didn't shoot very well in that game, and you know, so we let that slip away. But I think uh, this team has their own identity, and they're, they're just, they really want uh, to reach their goal postseason. So a little bit of both. So what's the secret this season? What has been – the reason that this squad is is playing what seems to be as dominating as they are. You've got three players in double figures, and we'll talk about them in a minute, but what's been the, the little nuances or the little tricks of the trade, as it were, that has allowed this team to be so good this year? Our senior leadership is outstanding. Um, all three of them have been you know, really good and stepped up big last night for us. And then um, our team chemistry in general is just really, really strong. Um, they're they're all um, fighting for the same thing and um, really been on the same page all year. And it's just, they're just a fun group to be around. You mentioned the seniors. You've got four of them. One of them is leading the scoring at 15.8 points a game, nearly four rebounds a game. And it's Brittany uh, Locke. Is it Locke? I hope I'm Locke. saying. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. The senior, uh, again, 19 points a game. Certainly not too shabby. Shooting 47% from beyond the arc and 48% from uh, the flo- field, nearly 90% from the free throw line. She's going to get her points. Um, you then have a center in, in Amy Bullimore, the junior, and a guard in a sophomore in Jenna Dirksen, both at double figures as well, 11.9 and 10.6 respectively. Bullimore pulling in over seven rebounds a game. Um, and 
Dirksen pulling in four and a half herself. And by the way, I should mention, Locke, three and a half assists a game, and Dirksen, two and a half assists a game. That trio alone has got stats that would make coaches drool. Yeah, they're they're a fun uh, front three, three I guess. Um, they're, Amy's been great inside for us, and uh, it really helps us outside. Uh, and she is pretty versatile, so we can do a little bit of everything with her. Um, really has had a breakout season, which we expected from her. And, you know, Britt Brit doesn't let us lose. You know, she just she doesn't let us lose. She's really, really, uh, she's really big in big games. All three of them are shooting above 45% from the floor. Uh, all three of them are shooting above 70% from the free throw line. We'll throw Bullimore out of the three-point contest because that's just not fair. Uh, mm-hmm. So Dirksen and Locke both above 44%. You're shooting 45% from the floor, 37% from beyond the arc, 77% from the free throw line. Those numbers alone just tell me that this offense is clicking and that you guys – those three are certainly confident on the offensive end. Well, until last night. Yeah, we didn't well, have a great sure. offensive night last <laughs> night. But, yeah, um, Wilmington had something to do with that. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, they share the ball really well, and we have a good mix of inside and outside players. So I think, you know, we really emphasize taking good shots. And so um, good shot percentages, I think. So um, they work well together, and, and they really have focused in on what we're trying to do offensively. An unselfish 16.5 assists per game for this mm-hmm. team, a team that is outscoring their opponents by 18 points a game. Um, your scoring average is about the same in the conference, uh, conference-wise as far as opponents. Um, I just lost the stat. Where did it, it went on me? There it is. Uh, actually, a little less, but it's still 74 over 58. So what's the flaw? Is there anything this team can't do or is struggling to do? And I know I don't want to give all your other coaches scouting reports. They can do their own homework. But -hmm. is there something as a fan that that we might spot to go, oh, I see what coach means there? Or is is there anything wrong? Um, You know, I always think we can get better. I don't think we've reached our ceiling yet. So we talk to the kids all the time about improving. But certainly, you know, for us, we always think we got to rebound the ball a little bit better, Um, you know, cut down on our turnovers. Things. Uh, we're, we're not screening as well as I'd like them to screen right now. So those are things I'm not sure fans would notice, but they're <laughs> things that we notice and, and the girls themselves notice. So they, you know, we can always get better, and we stress that every day, and they've been really good about hearing that message. Going into last night's game, you had a two-game lead on Wilmington in the conference, three games on, on Baldwin-Wallace against Baldwin-Wallace, and now obviously Wilmington joins them there with, the, with your win. You have Baldwin-Wallace coming up. That's kind of the point there. You just played Wilmington, and you got Baldwin-Wallace coming up. You kind of can put this conference away with a few weeks left. Uh, I realize you got to play all the way through the last one. But would a win over Baldwin-Wallace almost take a little bit of pressure off everybody in those last few weeks? Um, probably. Honestly, Dave, I haven't given two thoughts to Baldwin-Wallace because we have to play <laughs> Capital on Saturday. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Capital is uh, Capital is really really improving. They're a very yeah. young team, and they're they're doing really well. They've won their last few games, and so I'm uh, a little more concerned about them than Baldwin Wallace. <laughs> but um, you know, always if you know Baldwin Wallace is always a good team. They've been a great program for years, and their coach has done a super job. So you know, if we can be fortunate enough to beat Capital and then beat them, yes, that would put us in a great position. But uh, can't really think much about that anybody else but but the Crusaders, right? You know us media people, we do look beyond the next game. Uh, I know Capital's coming up. And the interesting part about this is you'll play Capital and Baldwin-Wellis at home. Then you're on the road against Muskingum and Heidelberg. Then home against John Carroll, on the road for Audubon at home at Marietta. Kind of very even uh, finish to the season. You'll actually Mm -hmm. play four of your next 
at home, obviously three on the road. How important are not only the home games in this next stretch, but to make sure you lock up the conference so that the conference tournament also comes through your gym? Oh, it's huge. And we talk about wanting to win home games all the time. And we've been really, knock on wood, really good at home. So, you know, that's it's we've got to get our home games. And, and having the conference tournament here is really, really important um, to us as well. And and this Great Lakes region, I mean, if if you really look at it, there are some incredibly good teams in this region. We already know about Thomas Moore, two straight national championships. Yes, one of them got pulled, but let's just be, mm-hmm. you know, for the yeah. for the sake of argument, two straight national championships. You've got Hope, obviously, who's playing well despite a loss last night to Trine, but Trine's in the conversation. Or actually, they did, they lost mm-hmm. to Albion. I apologize, but mm-hmm. Trine's in the conversation. Calvin's mm-hmm. in the conversation. Carnegie Mellon is continuing to play well. Case mm-hmm. Western Reserve is playing better than they have in the past. Um, I mean, we can go into the NCAC and talk about the good teams coming out of there as well. This seems like a stacked region. How hard, I mean, How important is it to also play well so that maybe you can get a good position in the NCAA tournament as well? Oh, it's huge. I mean, I've, I've felt like our region over the last four or five years has been, you know, probably the strongest in the country, especially when you have Thomas Moore in it. But the paw is really good. I mean, they're they're beating people in their conference right now. Um, you mentioned Carnegie Mellon. Everybody, you know, there's a lot of really good teams in this region and in our conference. You know, and unfortunately, our conference we keep beating each other. But there's yeah. some teams in our conference I think that would do very well in the NCAA tournament. So um, it's huge. And you know, if we could, you know, be fortunate enough to continue this and, and get into the tournament, it certainly is important where we're placed. Granted, the way the tournaments are put together, as we all know, it's hard to sometimes avoid the really good teams around you Mm -hmm. simply because of mileage. But how important is it also to try and be away from Thomas Moore, away away maybe from Carnegie Mellon, um, at least until a later round so that you don't have to necessarily deal with them in in the opening weekend? I would love that because we seem to be, we always seem to get stuck with hope. Um, yeah. You know, we've been at hope for our last couple of times. We've yeah. been for the NCAA tournament at DePaul. So it's really, really important. I'm not sure that we will be able to avoid it based on how the NCAA has been doing things, but um, it would be, it would be nice if we could. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh-huh. Um, so what's the message to the squad? What are you talking to with your team when it comes to the the stretch run here in the in the final games, is there is it is it a different message than what you've been preaching already? Is it is it kind of reiterating what you've already been talking about? How 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 do you kind of get this team focused on on the task at hand? Um, I haven't had a ton of trouble focusing them. Uh, they they're pretty focused on themselves because they know what they want. But I, you know, I think it's the same message. You know, we're just going one at a time. We talk about right now we're two and zero. Oh. Um, and we've got our third conference game on uh, Saturday against Capital, and um, you know we want to we want to go out and prepare for Capital, and that's really all that we're thinking about. We haven't really uh, really talked about too much other than that, you know, and improving every day. Something interesting about your as we drive back a little bit. And obviously, you're a Bluffton alum, and you got a chance mm-hmm. to coach your alma mater for a number of years before moving over to Ohio Northern. What was it like to be able to coach your alma mater in the first place? Oh, it was wonderful. I loved my time at Bluffton, and it's only you know ten miles away from Ada, so we're yeah. I didn't go very far. <laughs> but it was it was wonderful to come. I enjoyed it a lot, and you know uh, I'm you know got to move new, not too far away and get over here to Ohio Northern and still watch Bluffton do. They're having a great year as yeah. well, so um, it's nice to see them do well. And you know, but I, I enjoyed it very much. I just I love coaching in general, so uh, you know it was neat to do it at Bluffton to start out with anyway. 
was it also then to walk away and go to another school uh, and in, in this case, a different conference, clearly, but um, you step away and go somewhere else and leave the campus? Super difficult. Um, I loved my time at Bluffton. I loved the people there. Um, I loved the kids that I had, um, still do. And then, but it was just time a little different. And um, I felt like coming over to Ohio Northern and get to be in the Ohio Athletic Conference, it's a, it's a big challenge, but I knew if we could do well here, we could, we could be in the national spotlight a little bit. And, uh, you know, that was the goal. So um, it was super hard to leave there, but, you know, um, I think everybody needs change once in a while. And it was good for me. I haven't seen Bluffton on the uh, schedule in recent years. You're talking no, about? we don't. Uh, <laughs> we don't play each other actually, and we. I think we might actually be playing each other in a tournament next year, but we'll see. Um, we always <laughs> scrimmage them. We scrimmage okay. each other every year. Um, we haven't played each other. Uh, not sure why. Uh, just I don't know. Early on, we didn't want to do that, and sure. then uh, it just kind of developed into a nice scrimmage situation for both of us. So. <laughs> it's a close school. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. A fascinating season, obviously 18-0, and 0, uh, one of the best since 2013 when you guys went 27-2 and 2 overall and went undefeated in the conference. Obviously, as you point out, and as all, we all know, there's still plenty of basketball ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Seven regular season games plus the conference tournament and then hopefully the NCAA tournament as well. But as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Well, I just hopefully, uh, hopefully we can keep this going and uh, go polar bears. <laughs> Very good. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Michelle Duran joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, sponsored by the City of Salem. A couple of weeks ago, I got asked in the Hoopsville mailbag uh, what I thought were the toughest conferences, or at least I should say regions in order uh, in Division Three. And on the women's side, I don't think – I may have had Great Lakes 1, maybe – I'm sorry, I had Great Lakes 2, maybe 3 um, – I, I may have been incorrect there. It may be number one. It may be better than the central region, the CCIW and the WAC, because it is deeper, more conferences with better teams. We mentioned the MIAA. We mentioned the uh, NCAC, the UAA, and the OAC. Don't forget the HCAC has got some good teams there in the Great Lakes on the women's side. It's just as good as what we've been talking about in the Mid-Atlantic on the women's side as well. Those two regions alone have got some great basketball, and those two regions alone most likely We'll have some disappointments when it comes to the NCAA tournament, whether teams don't make it or teams uh, lose out early, just the way those brackets are going to have to be forced to be built. Um, But those two regions are fun to watch, and I appreciate Michelle Duran joining us from Ohio Northern to talk about her conference, her team, and obviously the region. When we come back, if there are more questions for the Hoopsville Mailbag, we'll answer them, including a question I had last show but wasn't really sure how to answer. I'll answer it tonight. But if you have questions for us for tonight's show or for the future, email us, hoopsville, at d3hoops.com. You can even send them via Twitter if you want, at d3hoopsville. When we come back, the Hoopsville mailbag, and we'll talk about the fundraiser and other things going on. You'll listen to Hoopsville, presented by d3hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more.
Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying the show. Good one tonight here on uh, Hoopsville. Uh, lots to talk about on Hoopsville. We hope you've enjoyed it. I uh, want to thank our guests, and we will do so formally in just a little bit. Uh, wrapping things up, any last-second questions, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Um, you can always use that to interact with us. If you get guest ideas, email us or tweet us your guest ideas and why you think they would be a good guest. Uh, let us know. Uh, don't forget, Sundays, uh, uh, Thursday nights is when we focus on the the East, the Mid-Atlantic, the Great Lakes, and the West regions. And on Sunday nights, we primarily focus on the Northeast, Atlantic, and Central regions. Though sometimes the South will end up in a Thursday show due to travel and all that stuff. But just keep that stuff in mind. Uh, we hope it will help you when you're coming up with guest ideas. Uh, coming up shortly, we will have the Hoopsville Marathon segment. So bear with, or not, uh, not mar mailbag segment. Uh, so bear with us. We'll get you some of the questions there. Um, so we mentioned the beginning of the show, and so we'll mention it now. Um, by the way, later we'll get some scores in. Don't forget. Don't don't worry. We're going to get to those too. Mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, going to mention it again now. Uh, that we have the uh, Hoopsville mailbag or uh, fundraiser is back. Um, it is on Indiegogo. It is a <laughs> we weren't going to go back to Indiegogo, um, but it, some things have changed, and so we we've gone to them. Um, this is our our annual campaign. It has been very beneficial in the past. We've gone back to a goal, which was our first goal ever. And we want to hit it again. Um, and we hope you will help us do that uh, here on the show. Um, so there are perks if you sign up uh, and, and, and give a certain amount of money uh, and, and select a perk. Um, you could get a T-shirt. You can get some other swag. You'll certainly get a thank you from us. I'm actually just noticing a bit of a problem on our perks that I'm going to have to go fix. Um, not a big deal. Um, and so on and so forth. So an opportunity here. And, and after the show, we will tweet out a special link that is for social media only for anybody who wants to get a basically our starting lineup for $75 has a bunch of perks in it. We will on our social media get the same perks for I was at 60 or $65. So a little bit less. We already have one backer, which is great. Got it right off the bat. Um, how one we have, we launched it yesterday. We've been on uh, for over 24 hours. It will go through the end of the regular season, um, and we hope you'll consider helping us. Helping us helps us to keep the show on the road, um, and or not on the road, but on the air. We hope you'll consider uh, helping us do that. 
is a passion for us, and this has been very successful in the past. We hope it is successful once again. So we'll talk more about it. Part of it is also the Hoopsville Marathon, which will be next Thursday starting at 10 a.m. Eastern. Who are our guests? Well, we only have a few of them officially booked so far. We will get the majority of them booked in the next few days. But we'll hear from members like the executive director of the WBCA. We have a member of the NABC executive committee who will be on the show as well, talking about why those organizations are so important, especially at the Division Three level. Those uh, That's coming up. Uh, also, some other guests we are working on as we speak. So look forward to that. We will update you with that. Uh, that marathon again coming up on Thursday at 10 a.m. It is part of the fundraising campaigns. We hope that uh, you will help us help cover Division Three the way we feel it deserves to be covered. We'll also get hopefully both committee chairs on the marathon. We always do that the week before. Uh, now that we have this marathon, to talk to them about the upcoming regional rankings. Remember, in less than two weeks, we will have those regional rankings, and we look forward to having them on the show to talk about them. So there you go. That's uh, the campaign. We hope you'll uh, you'll check it out when you get the opportunity. Uh, I want to check out, before we get to the mailbag, I want to check out some scores from around Division Three very quickly. I noticed a, a couple already that have jumped out at me, mainly on the women's side of things. I'm just letting it refresh here, and we'll start with women. Uh, the one game that jumped out at me for sure was that Muhlenberg defeated Dickinson 73-63. Muhlenberg's been having an interesting season. They're now 12-6 overall, 9-4 in the conference. They are now tied with Dickinson in third in the conference, a game behind Gettysburg. Uh, Gettysburg tonight defeated Franklin and Marshall uh, 85-74 to stay a game up. And everybody's chasing Haverford, who's at 10-2. and So a game ahead of Gettysburg and two ahead of Dickinson and Muhlenberg. McDaniels in a two-way tie at 7-6 and six with Johns Hopkins. Hopkins destroyed McDaniel by 25 tonight at McDaniel, causing that two-way tie for fifth. Um, I don't remember if the women have that play-in game or not, but obviously everyone's trying to position themselves for the tournament at the end of the season. Franklin Marshall in her and seven. So the Centennial race... While it hasn't been the most interesting, we talked about the Mid-Atlantic on the women's side being really interesting this year. The Centennial race hasn't been the most interesting of the four conferences in the Mid-Atlantic region until maybe about now. Haverford and Gettysburg are both 13-4. and four. Dickinson and Muhlenberg are now both 12-6. and six. There's a steep drop-off after that. Hopkins is 8-9. and nine. So those four teams at the top have certainly created an interesting dog race. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see how it turns out. However, I don't think this conference gets a lot, a second bid right now. Considering Haverford and Gettysburg both have four losses, basically Haverford's going to have to go all the way to the championship game, I think undefeated, and lose there for against it in that large bid. I think everybody else will beat each other up. But that's one of the scores that jumped out of me on the women's side was what was going on in the Centennial uh, Conference. This is one of those three week, uh, three games a week uh, scenarios uh, this week, and so that's why. That one jumped out at me. On the men's side, uh, Tufts easily handled the number four team in the country. Won 113-74. No surprise there. Claremont Mud Scripps will be in action against Laverne. That's coming up at 10 o'clock Eastern time if you happen to be listening to us live. Um, Ursinus is a team to watch on the men's side of the Centennial race. They beat Haverford tonight, 87-58. They have quietly put together a heck of a season. Uh, and coming along. Now, they have just lost to McDaniel last weekend, and that ended a three four-game winning streak. 
including a three-overtime game against Mueller-Murg that ended it in an overtime game against Washington. They're not blowing teams away, but they're certainly playing well. They are now in second place in the conference. We're waiting for the scores from Swarthmore. If Swarthmore happens to lose, they'll be tied for first place. Last we checked on Swarthmore, uh, they were leading Washington College on the Eastern Shore, 55-44. So most likely, Ursinus is going to find themselves in second place, possibly with Hopkins. Hopkins is playing McDaniel as we speak and leads 56. So the top of the of the race in the Centennial men's is getting much more interesting. Franklin Marshall Dickinson are lurking. McDaniel's just on the outside looking in. Um, this isn't going to be more than a one-bid race, but Ursinus is the one that's heating up. So those are some of the scores that jumped out at me so far tonight. Let's go to the mailbag, and this is the question we got at the end of, uh, of last week that I didn't get a chance to really answer, and I want to. It says, what teams are having huge improvements this season that won three or less games the season before? Well, to be honest, um, there aren't a lot. First off, the teams that were uh, three losses or less, and there was only – Nobody had one or no losses in Division Three. Elizabethtown, Clark Summit, Olivet, Rutgers, Camden, Edgewood, Maine, Farmington, John Jay, Kalamazoo, Colby, SUNY Cobleskill, Washington College, Hunter, Knox, Earlham, and Newbury. Um, I think the one that has made the, the biggest jump would be Olivet and Hunter. Olivet has uh, seven wins of losses this season, three and four in conference play in the MIAA, whereas Hunter is seven and 12, now five and five in the CUNYAC. Uh, Maine Farmington, if you want to keep an eye on them, they're 6-10, and 10, though they play a lot of non-Division 3s, especially this time of year, though actually they're playing a lot of Division 3 schools all the way through. Well, they're in conference. I forgot. Maine Farmington. Had Maine Farmington and Maine Prescott there confused for a minute, but Maine Farmington is 5-5 five and five in the NAC and 6-10 and 10 overall. John Jay is 6-12. and 12. Kalamazoo is 6-11. and 11. Washington College is 6-11. and 11. Uh, 2 and 8, as we mentioned, in, in, in a game against Swarthmore right now. Um, and Earlham is 5-13. and 13. I've made the biggest turnarounds in terms of wins. I think Washington College, though, has made a, a significant turnaround. One of those losses is to Navy. Um, actually, that Navy game didn't count, now that I think about it. But they took Gettysburg to double overtime and won. Um, they lost in overtime to Ursinus in, a, in an incredible game. So, you know, Olivet may have turned it around nicely at 7-12, and 3-4, and four, and I like it. Hunter isn't bad at 7-12, and 5-5, five and five, but I kind of like what Washington College did. So there's the answer to that one. And then a question that we got today, uh, you'll go to basketball heaven for what you do. Well, I appreciate that. This is an anonymous question. NESCAC has had six teams ranked in the top 25 at various How many bids do you think are possible and which conferences had the most historically? Um, I think, and I emphasize the word think, um, that the NESCAC's going to kind of eat each other a little bit. Yes, they've had six teams in the top 25. I think that's a little bit of parity. Um, I think it's a little bit of um, not um, understanding who may be the best teams at some point in time. It's not a knock on the conference. It's just voters trying to figure it out. Tufts is currently in the lead at 6-0 in the conference. Trinity's 4-1. Middlebury and Hamilton along 3-2. Bates, Wesleyan are 3-3. Three Connecticut College and Williams lurking at two and four. Williams is thirteen and six overall. Double, but by the way, everybody's above five hundred except for Colby, who's eight and nine and zero oh and five in conference play. Bowden is nine and eight and one and four. So this is a really deep conference. Dave Hickson said it at the beginning. Hoopsville. He said this conference is going to go seven, eight teams deep, and I thought he was kidding. Being nice to the coaches, maybe. 
It is seven or eight teams deep this season, and I think it's going to be really interesting. The eighteen, you know, the tournament eight teams that play it out. Um, Sixteen wins for Tufts, thirteen for Trinity, fourteen for Middlebury, Hamilton. Eights have 13. Wesleyan has 15. Canadian College, 11. Williams, 13. So this is a pretty good nest hack this year. But I don't think it's going to get a lot of bids in this year. I, I think they're going to, you know, Trinity's already sitting at six losses. They take one, maybe two more. They're pretty much in trouble of making the tournament. Um, Hamilton, four. But not. A, I don't think the SOS is going to show to be that great. Amherst is at four. The rest of West may be decent, but Amherst is in a tough spot. They're going to have to keep winning. Bates is at six losses. They're in the same boat as Trinity. Wesleyan's at four losses. And the Connecticut College and Williams are pretty much out of the uh, of the autom- uh, the pool seed. Con- seven and six losses, considering we're already talking about maybe picking up at least one more loss. And again, I'm being a little dramatic there. They may not be fully out. Here's what I guess. I'm going to guess the NESCAC, depending on what regional rankings say in less than two weeks, could get three teams in. I don't think four. I think three is the max for the NESCAC this year. Now there are two bids in the top 25, uh, I mean in the uh, NCAA tournament this year, but I think regional rankings are going to help, but I think three is where we're looking at this year. The most is five, and I believe that is uh, the NESCAC's record though I might be incorrect because I can't remember if the UAA has gotten five in before. I know the ODAC is four, if not five in before. There was a year Randolph made it out of the ODAC, but I can't remember if they were the fourth or the fifth team for the ODAC. Three or four is usually common for those who get a lot of bids. Five is pretty uncommon. I don't remember if anybody has ever gotten six. So there's kind of your look at it. I think NESCAC gets three this year. It's just... My feeling, I, I need to see regional rankings to see a lot of the SOS numbers. I also don't have the SOS numbers uh, on the top of me. I should have go look, should have looked them up ahead of time. But the SOS numbers this time of year are a little tricky as well because because uh, some of the round-robin play in other conferences hasn't really had an effect. So that's kind of where I come from on that one. Uh, last check to see if there's any other questions. I don't see any. Just going to check our email to make sure there's nothing else. And I don't see anything there, so we're going to wrap it up. Sunday, don't forget, we're going to be on the air at uh, 7 o'clock once again. We'll be covering the Northeast, the Atlantic, the Central regions primarily, along with the WBCA Center Court segment. Uh, and don't forget, we got the marathon coming up on next Thursday. And then next Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be on the air at 1 or 2 o'clock Eastern. We'll double-check it. That's Super Bowl Sunday. We'll not go on the air at 7. We will update you accordingly when we get that far. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests who appeared on the show tonight. Frank Marcinic from Susquehanna, Luke uh, Flakersi from uh, Rochester. Also, thanks to uh, Don Mulhern, excuse me, from Wisconsin Superior, and Michelle Durant from Ohio Northern. Of course, thank you to the SIDs and assistant SIDs and everybody in their departments for helping us get on the air. Notice three of them, of the four, were on Skype. I want to thank everybody for making those efforts. It's great to see the coaches when we are talking to them. Uh, again, don't forget about the Hoopsville fundraiser. Please consider uh, helping us out. You can get a T-shirt possibly and other goodies, as it were. Please consider us and help us. We'd really appreciate it. We'll certainly talk more about it as, as time goes on. Got a big goal in mind, but it's that goal allows us to travel, allows us to update some equipment. Like this computer we're using now is starting to show severe signs of age. It's It's four years old. Um, we need to do a few things to keep it up and running. It's doing well. It's just showing its age. 
just like a car. So, uh, oh, before we leave, I forgot. We were going to mention my top 25 from last week. Let me really go through that. So uh, what's interesting is for the top eight, I didn't make any changes. Uh, I stuck with number one, who was Babson. Number two was Whitman. Rochester was three. Christopher Newport, four. Denison, five. Ramapo, six. And Whitworth, seven. The only change I can see right now is Whitworth will fall out of my top ten. I don't think uh, they they haven't shown me against Whitman to be as good as I thought they were. I moved River Falls up one to number eight. And Tufts moved up to number nine from the 10 spot. New Jersey City moved into the top 10 from 12. Salisbury moved up to 11 out of 15. Amherst fell or moved up. Amherst actually came from the 17 spot up to the 12 spot. And really, that was more about filling in the hole. I wasn't all that comfortable with Amherst at 12, but I didn't have anybody behind him I felt like putting into 12 either. You could make an argument for Wash U. I moved them up from 20th to 13th. Hope is in the uh, 14th slot, moving them up from 19th. I did move Wash U ahead of Hope. Um, I just thought Wash U was doing a little bit better right now than Hope was. Marietta moved in the top 15 for the first time in a while for me, coming out of 21st. St. Norbert fell, um, or no, yeah, fell a couple slots. I, I didn't ding them too much for their loss to Ripon. Um, I probably could have gone further, but I kind of like what I see out of the Green Knights besides that game against Ripon. I have St. 16. Harden-Simmons is at 17. Guilford at 18. Guilford had been 16, so I didn't really ding them too hard for the Harden-Simmons loss. Eau Claire took a tumble. They went 1-1 and lost to Stevens Point. I moved them all the way down to to 19. Basically, they got four losses in the last couple of weeks of struggled, and I've been a little frustrated. I moved Augustana in the top 25 for the first time. Don't be surprised if we talk to them in the near future. They have surprised me this season. They're playing well. I put them at 20th for the first time in the rankings. Middlebury, I moved up 1 to 21. Wesleyan up 1 to 22, despite the fact that both teams lost. But both teams lost to teams ranked well ahead of them. North Park took a tumble. I had them at 8 the previous week. I moved them all the way down to 23. I'm a little nervous. I, I I had said at the beginning of the year that you know I didn't rank them. They had two All-Americans, but I didn't see anybody else that meant anything to me, and I didn't think they could do anything more than the All-Americans. They obviously proved us wrong for a good chunk of the season. However, they're back to me worrying about the supporting cast. They're down to 23. Benedictine stays at 24. I removed Newman, despite the fact they didn't lose, but they barely got past uh, uh, Rosemont. And I know Rosemont is an improved team, but Newman needed overtime to do it. I'm a little concerned about Newman. I know they're playing well. I know some have said that this may be the best team they've seen in a long time. I'm just not confident. I'm a little nervous about Newman. So I replaced them with Claremont Mud Scripts. I don't know a lot about Claremont Mud Scripts either because they're on the West Coast and they don't, but they finally beat teams above 500, and that was that was good for me. And they not only beat them, they beat them handily. They had, for a couple a couple weeks ago, or really until last week, they hadn't played anybody with an above 500 record, so I wasn't buying in. So I wanted to see how they did against above 500 teams. They did well. They did very well. So I put them at 25, and I removed Newman in the meantime. So here's my top 25. We're going to take a break and come back on Sunday night. Uh, again, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Join us here. Forgive us if you had any trouble trying to watch the live show. I was apparently sending out a wrong link. I copied a wrong link somewhere. Um, and we were sending out the wrong link, but we hope you caught up. If not, watched on, line, on demand, I should say, or watch the listen to the podcast. Certainly good ways to tune into the show, and we thank you if you have used those avenues. Don't forget about the Hoopsville mailbag segment. You can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com, and we'll answer your questions here on the air. Don't forget about the Hoopsville fundraiser as well. We'll talk plenty more about that. Look for information on our Instagram, and Facebook, uh, Instagram Twitter, and Facebook accounts as well, especially 
in the next few days. Thanks so much for tuning in and guests for joining us. And thanks to their, their SID departments for helping us as well. Hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank D3Hoops.com. Also thank the City of Salem, the host of the Men's Division Three Final Four, uh, for hosting our hotline as always. We appreciate uh, Carrie Harvey-Cutter and the rest for the work that they do. We look forward to being back in Salem. Uh, believe it or not, about a little under two months. Uh, and also, of course, thanks to the National Association of Basketball Coaches and the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, those two organizations, helping us out tremendously. We thank them as well. Uh, great relationships and look forward to fostering them in the future. They are, of course, one of our sponsors. We also are doing some new advertising. We've sent it out to a few. We're going to send it out to some more if you're interested in advertising on the show. Drop us an email or drop us a tweet, and we'll get in touch with you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. You have been listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios, and thanks to the City of Salem for hosting the Hoopsville Hotline. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here on Sunday night. In the meantime, enjoy some good basketball. There's plenty going around in Division Three. We'll see you back here to catch up on what happened and see what's going on in the future. Good night, everybody. <laughs>